All right, y'all, get ready for another rollicking adventure into broadcast healing. The Robert Scott Bell Show is about to begin, and uh, I'm excited beyond normal. Like, I'm never normal, you know that. But <laughs> David Avocado Wolf is going to join us in the first hour of the show today. Uh, he's my brother. I love him dearly, and we're going to have a great time, a blast. In fact, out of the gate, I got to talk about something I've been talking about since I opened the microphone in 1999. The U.S. healthcare system sucks because there's not a lot of health and there's no care, but it isn't about centralizing it and throwing more money at it. I'll get into that in a moment. Also, the Pragmatist Guide to the Galaxy. Well, that's not actually the title, but we've got a couple of pragmatists, Malcolm and Simone Collins, joining us. And in fact, they're, they're Pragmatist Guide to Developing Religion. It's very interesting, the subjects we got today on the air. I'm excited about it. And also, hey, Djokovic, he wins the Australian Open in front of the gates of hell. Bill Gates was there. That was that was nice justice as well. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more. Thank you for being here. Share the show, robertscabell.com slash listen. There's the live chat room. Tell your friends this is the place for health, freedom, and healing liberty. Let's see if we get this healing party started right about now. The Robert Scott, the Bell, Robert show. Scott Bell Show. Voice of health, freedom, and liberty. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Dude, how how long have I been doing this show? Twenty fourth year. Okay, I remember that now. All right, twenty four. This is my twenty fourth year. How many times over the years have I had to cover stories that say the same thing and get us nowhere about U.S. healthcare, or hey, for that matter, Canadian healthcare? or Australian healthcare, or British healthcare, whether you're NHS, healthcare, or whatever, Australian, you, it doesn't matter. If the Western world has endorsed it, the governments endorse it, it's not healthcare. And, you know, when we look at the disaster that is the U.S. healthcare system, and, and, and many people that are pro-America are going to go, oh, Robert, yeah, you're going to bash America because if you're new, you're going to think I'm going to be all for universal health care, single payer, socialized systems. Like, no, furthest thing from the truth. In fact, I dared to go to Canada a number of years in a row to the Total Health Show up in Toronto and speak about their single payer, socialized health care system. Because they often, you hear the PR, they look at America and they go, oh, America, you Americans are so horrible. You you hate each other because you're willing to, you know, let people die and go bankrupt because your health care, it, no, it's not covered, it's not free, da, 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 it goes on and on. And so I'm at this show, this total health show, which is holistically oriented, natural medicine type of show in Canada. And I say, so you you like your system? Yeah, we like your system. It's way better than the American system. I'm like, really? Okay. How many of you actually use your system that were that were at that particular event that I was at. Oh no, I wouldn't I would never use it. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that tune changed quickly. What do you mean you wouldn't use it? You said it's awesome. Well no, I wouldn't use it because all they do is vaccinate you and drug you. I'm like, yeah, exactly. But you're happy because poor people can get vaccines and drugs because it's free for them. I want you to think about that. You're poisoning them, you're harming them, you're killing them, but hey, at least they got what you call healthcare. It's covered. And the, the you know, the real disaster in, in America has been, you know, 100 years in the making or or then some. I remember, you know, I was on the air in 2010. That's uh the big deal that year was Obamacare. 
now they were forcing you to participate in a system that many Americans had realized was not health care at all. Didn't want in. And yet now you were going to be penalized or fined for not having insurance. Of course, they had little carve outs like Christian health ministry shares, things like that. But I haven't participated in that system and it had what they call health insurance because, you know, one of the slides in my presentations people get a kick out of is what's the most dangerous thing you can have in America? And, you know, the answer to that is really good health insurance or really good medical insurance because it guarantees that you are going to be poked and prodded and tested so that they can find problems and diagnoses and diseases that you don't actually have so that they can prescribe drugs for you for something that you don't have to give you 10, 20, or 30 other things you didn't have to begin with and treat those things as well until, until they poisoned you to death. And how is a system of healthcare, a healthcare system, if all it is invested in is poisoning you back to health? So the headline reads here on CNN Health article, and I'm sure this is being picked up everywhere. U.S. spends most on health care, but has the worst health outcomes among the high income countries. As if if we could just go socialize single payer universal, we'd all be better. And then I talked to my friends at the NHS. Good luck getting any health care there either. Now, you can redefine healthcare to mean surgical and drug interventions and vaccinations, and then it's sort of free, which it's not. That's the illusion as well, because grandma doesn't get a voice in any of those cultures anymore when she used to say there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Of course, they don't say it that way in England, Queen's English. There isn't anything. Well, I won't even go there. <laughs> there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. And yet the illusion of that in a single-payer socialized system that only covers what? Allopathic medical intervention. No homeopathy, no naturopathy, very limited chiropractic in some unusual circumstances. Herbalism, nah, that's right out. You might say, well, some of it covers midwives, but the midwives are you know, working in allopathic birthing centers. It might be a slight improvement, but it still treats everything like you're a disease and a drug deficiency waiting to happen. And if you're a kid with the wrong emotion, which is a normal emotion, we can drug that too. So the answer to the healthcare crisis in America isn't more money, isn't more government involvement. It's, yeah, you know it, the F word. No, not Fauci. It's freedom. The good one. The freedom to choose the kind of healthcare that you want. Unencumbered. Uninterrupted. Not violated by federal regulators that are captured by the very industry that profits from what disease creation and disease management, which is what we have a disease creation, a disease management machinery. And yet who here, I think here among us, we we're pretty aware of that. But even as we talk to the, the good docs that have woken up on under the, uh, the COVID craziness, I still see a lack of invitations and I'm not talking about me personally, but I'm talking about, you know, this broader sense of, Hey, you know what? The allopaths screwed this, th this whole thing up. They were wrong about everything. Now those have woken up and said, Oh, I, we figured it out. Sorry about that. We're, we'll be right this time. And yet there's no invitations forthcoming to homeopaths and naturopaths and herbalists and, you know, on and on the eclectic, uh, uh perspectives, the vitalistic views of healthcare and healing. And until that happens, Everything else is going to be about managing and altering subtly or significantly, whatever, disease creation and disease management machinery from pseudo-capitalism and crony capitalism to full-on socialism.
anything in between. And if it all covers the same thing, disease creation, disease management, it's a disaster. And that's why unplugging from it is the healthiest thing you can do and setting up the ways to learn how to heal yourself, how to stay well yourself. Where is it that you go in under NHS or Health Canada or any U.S. Uh, allopathic licensed physician type pharma medicine covered by insurance where they'll actually guide you to nutritional prevention? In other words, what you're doing is you're eating wrong. Your liver is toxic. We need to cleanse that. Now, granted, there are people that are innovating from within it a little bit, but they're also being attacked savagely and often threatened with loss of licensure for doing so. But we know that any solution proffered from within the bureaucratic oligarchy, from within the captured agencies of Western government, is going to be more monopolistic mandates on what? Medicine from big pharma and prohibitions against the use of things like homeopathy. Look, the FDA is still going after it. 1844, the American Institute of Homeopathy founded. 1847, the American Medical Association founded to expressly try to limit the growth of homeopathy, if not eliminate it altogether, which happened after the Flexion Report of 1910, pretty much. And as I wrap up the opening here and bring David Avocado Wolf into the mix, uh, I went to Emory University in Atlanta, a research egghead medical type institution. And I didn't know it until after I had graduated that they taught homeopathic medicine in the school curricula, the medical school at Emory up until 1949. And I had never heard the word homeopathy up until I was the age of 24. And yet it was part of the curricula in the South still with the last holdouts, if you will. Super Don, are you back before we bring in David? Because there was a... Uh, I think I am. Okay. Do you, do you okay. have the ability to play that clip from... I don't, unfortunately, no. That was a classic, if I remember it correctly. I, I'm telling you, we, I, the show yeah. today got saved by this this backup PC that I had had just recently got. Yeah, I had it had it running and running. That, yeah. I mean, I hadn't like we I hadn't jumped over to it yet, okay. so I can get the other computer fixed. But like right at the beginning of of the show, it's like yeah. everything went crazy and stuff like that. So I managed to jump over to the other one and log in and put the file on a thumb drive and, and upload it to the other computer and then play wow. the intro. And so it, 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 it's, dude, um, yeah, dude, you are but, like a magician. In that unfortunately, no, yeah. it's just, yeah. I didn't freak out. So I managed to do it, but okay. yeah, there was a promo that you cut years ago, probably back in 2009. And it was, we were covering the story about how they had done the same thing. Like they just did. We did a, we did a report, put together a report and we have discovered yeah. that the U uh, S health system, healthcare system sucks, but you know, and it's like, Bad, yeah. and actually what they did is they graded our healthcare system with a D Yeah, and, that was on and you did a promo about that, you know, healthcare system gets a D and I was looking at this one this morning. I'm like, is it, this is either like deja vu or we're just like in a, in a alternate universe and we're, I don't know, because it's like every year they come out with these reports and every year they talk about how we spend enormous, more than anybody on our healthcare. And we rank the lowest of all of the of the higher income countries on outcomes, health mm -hmm. outcomes. And I'm thinking, you know, I was thinking, you know, like but back in the day when we were kids, I don't know how what your grades were like, but you know, every once in a while I'd show up at home with a, a report card. Yeah, you know, and it had a bad grade on it. You know, got a D. Well, that wasn't that wasn't good. Now, if every time I came home I had a D on my report card. Yeah. Dude, I, I whooped my butt. I would have been, you know, grounded or something. Dogs. Yet yeah. here we are in this country. We keep getting a D or an F. 
yeah. on our report card every time they do one of these reports mm. uh, and nothing changes. Yeah. Well, as I said, the system itself is is set up for failure and perpetual bankruptcy because it profits those in power, those who have captured the government and the agencies. And healing is not part of that system. Uh, even if some people can be helped from time to time in acute trauma care, which is the only, you know, I would say if you were rational about modern medicine where it excels, um, triage warfare type medicine. Now, everything I've said so far, David Avocado Wolf knows times 10. You know, and I love him for that. And he's also invested in the sciences like I love to do. He's an egghead in his own right, even though he's got more hair than me. And uh, we just have a great time. And he does amazing things and uh, very empowering and uplifting. So let's welcome back to the Robert Scabell Show. David, Avocado Wolf, welcome. Woo, best ever. Good to see you, bro. So, so great to see you, my friend. And, uh, you know, this is, the, this is nothing new for you to hear, of course. But we I've been have- battling these crooks my whole life. I grew up in it. Both my parents are doctor- doctors. For those of you who don't know, I grew up inside of medicine. My dad's known Dr. Fauci for 50 years. It's I, I've, I've known, I knew Dr. Peter Duesberg. We brought him to UC Santa Barbara when I went to school in 1990. Mm-hmm. And he went berserk about Fauci in 1990. Yes. That's how long yes. we've been on to these crooks. I used to sell the books about the whole AIDS scam and the whole hoax of it all and the AZT scam and everything, mm-hmm. crushing Dr. Fauci back in 1994. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are very few people, I say a handful of us, that, that were covering it all the way back then. And uh, and I love the fact that so many doctors are now coming on board and, and even PhDs, and they're so astonished by this. And then they find out, we've been doing it all these years, like, they feel a little bit less sure of themselves at that moment. And it's like, I don't mean to denigrate them at all. That's not it. I'm glad they're here. But my point about, as I mentioned, the invitations, if I said to homeopaths and natural, until all of them, all of us come together, there's no solution within the allopathic, uh, you know, echo chamber, even for those that have tried to break free of it. That's not where this is going to be resolved or, or changed in reality. We, we actually want what's happening to, you know, because it, it, it's going to destroy itself. The, the parasites eat their own host. Mm-hmm. That's where we're headed. And that's so what's happening, you know, like people are like, oh, my God, COVID-19 is actually COVID-19 is like the greatest blessing of all time because it exposed the criminality that's been going on all along. It's exposed the complete corruption of hospitals, supposed health care. I mean, it's so completely obviously bonkers and so completely absurd what goes on in these kind of places you know you where's your vaccine card you know you can't come in here unless you've been double boosted and quacked and all the <laughs> stuff that goes on it's insane but it's good mm-hmm. it's good we need to get i used to i used to say it this way worse is better make it worse worse is better for us we want it worse there's no way we're gonna have any change until it gets worse yeah and that's not you applauding and, th- and being thrilled about suffering but i recognize in my life the suffering i went through was the only thing up. that would help me to get, yeah, exactly, to see through the illusions that I grew up with in a medical family as well. And so uh, the, the blessing is what happens for us, not to us, even though it's a change or a shift in consciousness to see it that way. I, I'll, I'll put this out there, and I'll put this out there to every listener. The worst thing that's happened to you has been the best thing in your life. I'll put that out there to anybody. That's the truth. The worst thing that happened to you turned out to be the most important, the best thing that ever happened to you. And unfortunately, we're learning that. I tried not to learn that way anymore. I try mm-hmm. to get ahead of the curve. Yeah. I think that's a smart way to do it. But mm-hmm. there's no question that we, the way we were born into this world and the systems of this world and the infrastructure of this nonsense, usually we have to be hit over the head to wake up. 
Yeah. Uh, and I do think the wisdom is in learning from other people's mistakes, but we often don't want to do that. We like, no, no, I have to do it. <laughs> I have to have this experience. And you know, that's the great freedom too. And I think about life and the gift of life right alongside that gift of life is the agency, the freedom to, to make bad decisions screw up. Because in that way, I indelibly learned something that maybe I wouldn't have learned as well had I read it in a book and thought, well, that's pretty, maybe I shouldn't, but it's just not in you. It's not part of you yet. And that's part of the, I think the training ground that this earth plane is for all of us. And not everybody has that view of it. And we look at ourselves more as victims, which keeps us trapped in a state that never resolves. And of course, those that love us to be victims love that state that we're in and don't want us to see this, you know, uh, we say this hero standard step up, you know, where we become the hero of our lives rather than the victims. It's, it's really self-responsibility. We are responsible for our own lives. We're responsible for our own health. We're responsible for our own disciplines every day, our own health disciplines or lack thereof. We're ultimately completely responsible. So you're, what, what's actually happening, the system weaponizes the irresponsible against the responsible. That's the nature of the system that we're in. And so we're just going to work through it until that parasite eats its own host, and then we're we're there to restart the new. Actually, you you and I, the listeners of your show, we're not here to correct the old. We're here to build the new. That old is so done. It's so it has nothing to do with any constitution or any kind of vision of the founding fathers. It it's a million miles away from any of that stuff. That that's the reality. I mean, shall not be infringed. Second Amendment. You know, what is what's so hard to understand about that shall not be in, in, infringed. In reality, we should be able to have Gatling guns if we want, machine guns if we want. <laughs> That's what the founding fathers intended. Mm -hmm. But no, they're not going to allow that to happen. They're going to they want these people at the top are control freaks. They're maniacs. They're homicidal control freaks. And so they're demonically possessed. I think that's really clear at this point. There's no way you can get through all this material of the COVID nonsense and the insanity of big pharma and the insanity of these injections without finally arriving at the conclusion that these people are demonic. Yeah. The, uh, uh, the transformation that we're witnessing is something interesting too, because in the, all the time that we've been speaking out, you know, there's a small percentage of people that had any questions about vaccines at all. And an even smaller percentage that said no more, none for me ever. Right. And now I'm hearing, physicians, medical doctors, PhDs, not just saying that about the COVID jab, but now looking backwards like we did at one point in our lives and said, well, if I was lied to about this, I wonder about this, this, and this, and this. And so that kind of thing is happening that is quite extraordinary that I couldn't have done on my own. You couldn't have done on your own. And we recognized maybe it would never happen in this lifetime. Yet it is. And it's their fault. Not because anything we did, we had a small impact on a significant you know, group of people, but not the way they did it, like trying to clamp down on the few of us that had left or escaped their dominion and their desire to have us back in is their undoing. That's it. That actually the, our compliance is their main currency. They need our compliance. As soon as we stop complying with any of it, no jabs for kids in schools, the whole vaccine nonsense scam. But real quickly, by the way, we can control infectious diseases with a much better, much safer technology. I just got to put that out there because mm -hmm. people are so confused. They're like, no, 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 polio. And just, I mean, it's like, oh my God, you don't know about ozone? You don't know that if you inject somebody with polo with, with polio, supposed polio, with ozone, that it fries that oh, that polio within seven minutes. You don't. People don't know that, right? So the ozone machine, which is by the way sitting right there behind me, you can see mm -hmm. the tank actually right there, and the ozone machine that's right behind it, which is over twenty five years old. I use it all, every week, 
and it's been there for 25 years, designed by Nikola Tesla. Mm -hmm. He was the designer of that system right there. That could be put in a doctor's office for pennies on the dollar with, with oxygen that costs pennies on the dollar, and we stop infectious diseases right there. You don't even have to inject somebody with ozone. You could insufflate it into them. They could bubble it through right there. You see a mask right there. You mm -hmm. bubble the, uh, the ozone through olive oil, and then you can breathe it. Now, I had a friend who had SARS back in 2003, 2004, and he couldn't kick it. It was about three months. And so I said, come back. So I was living in San Diego at that time. I had We sat in my office. I breathed the ozone. He passed it back to him. I breathed the ozone, passed it back to him. And I'm not worried about catching his germs because mm -hmm. ozone, it completely disinfects the actual mask itself. So mm -hmm. I'm going back and forth with this like that. Within two hours, he was that was it. That was the end of his whole – the whole respiratory infection was gone. You see how silly it all is? It's so – we're on some antiquated, monopolized, totally control freak technology, the injection strategy, the pills strategy, the cut, burn, poison theory, all mm -hmm. that, Rockefeller medicine, when in reality the solutions are all here. They're much safer. They're much better. I mean mm -hmm. this system, just an ozone system, compared to jabbing people with some unknown cocktail from big pharma, you've got to be kidding me. I mean it's so silly. It's mm -hmm. so bad. So what we're doing is we're working with doctors in Texas now to create private membership associations. So if you get injured in an accident, you don't go to the hospital. You go to them. We've got two emergency room physicians already on board, and they're wow. and it's already working. It's already up. And uh, Hamza and Fatima, I love them. And uh, and then you go there, and you get your emergency care there outside of the hospital system. That is so fantastic. This is the, also what we've seen emerge everywhere, seemingly as if it's bubbled up into the consciousness the parallel system. It's like not trying to change the one that's there, but going, you know what? Let that collapse. Let's go out and do what we know is right to do right now. And through, it said, private membership associations, PMAs, private license scenarios where, you know, the only permission you need is the permission to give each other, you know, to care for one another, as opposed to looking for third-party interveners, government, uh, pharmaceutical insurance, or any, you know, collaboration therein. And we're seeing that emerge as the complete opposite of what we used to believe, we just got to take it over. We got to get in there. We got to change it. But the entire system, as we know, is set up to squash the very things that work. You know, not only that, you know, the, the things historically, like I mentioned, homeopathy, which is a mainstay of medicine throughout the world. And yet we're still dealing with government institutions and, and agencies trying to destroy the safest form of medicine on the planet that indeed can actually help, yes, even in acute infectious diseases, which it has throughout history. And then the use of silver, the use of copper. And my kids have never once been vaccinated. They've never even had an antibiotic. Yes, they've had infections. It's a normal part of life, but they're 24 and 17. You'd think by now they would, we would have found a need for it. But no, if you have access to the things David Avocado Wolf has talked about for decades now, and I'm doing, we have a, a system that is already in place. We don't need to to, we, to change the one that's there. We don't need them. We don't need yeah. them. We build the system, the new C. That's the thing. We're building the new system without them. And mm -hmm. and actually, what's kind of cool about it all is they're all going to be injected to death. Mm. If they keep buying into that BS, they're going to be injected yeah. to death. So we don't actually have to do anything about that system and the insurance system. And You're taking themselves out. Yeah. All we do is we just take the best of the brightest who realize that that system's a scam. We bring them over into our PMA, which we've already done in Texas. And then if you're part of that PMA, you get injured in an accident, you, they, they're your primary care physicians. Now, let me tell you how good these people are. Mm -hmm. um, I had a friend of mine who ripped his – we were digging out a thing in his backyard. It was a piece of metal. It was like an old metal stake for a fence. And he ripped his hand, mm -hmm. and he needed seven stitches. 
So they, he, the, the, he wanted my friend who got his hand ripped like that. He wanted the coated silver to be put on the inside there of mm -hmm. the flap. And the doctor mm -hmm. called me up and he said, you know, I can't do this. You know, I can't do this. I was like, no problem, dude, do it. I'm telling you, it's going to be fine. So he's like, okay, I'm going to do it. So they did it. But a week later, it was interesting. We just happened to all be in the same place in Austin, Texas. And, and I was like, oh, dude, what happened to your hand? So he showed me his hand. It was completely healed one week later. And the doctor was there too. And so he took the stitches out right there in front of me. In one week, he healed off seven stitches with the coated silver being sprayed inside the wound and the flap closed over it. Mm -hmm. This is where set one week that injury was healed. That's where real medicine is. That's, what's, yeah. that's what we're really dealing with compared to this you know, oh, you broke your hand. We're going to put pins and needles and screws and all kinds of hardware into you. That happened to a friend of mine. I said, you're not doing that. Let me tell you what to do. Send me your x-rays. She sent me the x-rays. I said, oh, what I need you to do is I need you to pull your finger so we can get the metatarsal into place, which she did. And then I said, just immobilize the hand, get on these herbs, do this. In three weeks, she was back in fitness class. They wanted yeah. to put screws and hardware what happened? Oh, what happened to our, our, our love of, of creation and the fact that all of these options are available to us and have always been there, like comfrey, for instance. Uh, you know, it's just a miracle that when you see it happen, but it isn't. It's what it's supposed to do, and we just abandoned it in our lifetime. Or those of us, uh, you know, our parents' generation in the 20th century that got so enamored with advances in in allopathic medical science that they abandoned the history of of healing on the planet altogether. And that was an artificial construct. It didn't happen organically. Right. It's we let's put it this way. The way out of this is ancient old, brand new. All we got to do is just go back to ancient old is brand new. Now, my dad was did a lot of emergency care. So I was lucky. I grew up seeing it. So I know how to set bones. I know how to do I know how to stitch somebody up 200 stitches if necessary, if I had to do it. Because mm -hmm. I saw it growing up five years old, six years old, seven years old, eight years old. That's great. And that's that learning process of like what my dad does on that side is insane. But if you combine that with things like coated silver. If you combine that with topical treatments, for example, I've got a friend here who got a bad burn on his leg. We got him on the carbon 60 spray. We've got him on the coated silver. We've got him on noni. We've got him on aloe and we've got him on, no, on noni leaf. That's what mm -hmm. we use here. We could use comfrey, but comfrey makes it here, but it has a little tro trouble with mold, but noni leaf is what's traditionally used in Hawaii. I'm in Hawaii right now. I'm leaving this yeah. week. And we wrapped his leg up and it's amazing what's happening. It's really cool just to see, watch the healing occur day by day. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. Folks, if you want to check it out, davidwolf.com, W-O-L-F-E.com. And we have it linked up in the show notes at robertscatbell.com, of course. And uh, David, you told me you were going to be at like a, a Conscious Life Expo or something in L.A. coming up? Yeah, that's or right. Conscious Life Expo, February 10th, 11th, and 12th, right down there. I think it's the Hyatt. It's a, if you just punch in ConsciousLifeExpo.com, it'll bring you to it. Okay. And uh, and it's right there by LAX. It's, good. it's a really good group of real freedom fighters in the health field that get together there. Mm -hmm. And we also will talk about things about EMF protection. Um, if somebody has been jabbed, what to do about it. That's actually what they wanted me to talk about. I was shocked. I was, I was like, Oh, yeah. there's going to be like some mask parade. I'm not going, I'm not wearing no mask or any of the BS that's going on. By the way, over 150 studies proving that masks, masks either don't work or are unnecessary in surgical settings. The 150 studies, a little FYI. So anybody who trusted the science, you trusted the wrong science because you didn't actually look at the science. Anyway, that's just a little side. I thought they were going to throw that at me. And I was like, they're like, no, no, no. We want you to come in and talk about jab injuries and how to do about it. I was like, oh my yeah. God, okay. I am shocked too because anytime we think LA now, uh, it's woke. It's all in on jabs and Fauci as opposed to what they're now seeing. I guess 
it is shifting because it's become so in their face that they can't deny it. Now they're struggling with what to do about it. And of course, how can you help me now? And, uh, you know, I've seen some parody uh, articles about why didn't you anti-vaxxers tell us and speak out and warn us? I'm like, hello, that's all we've been doing. So uh, it's, it's sad at the same time. It's not that we won't uh, put our hands out for those that are sincere asking for help. And I'm not condemning people that, that, you know, operated in fear. The moment you wake up, I'm, you know, I'm grateful uh, at the same time, really realize you dug a, a dig, dig, deep hole that you didn't need to dig, but this is the experience you, you wanted or needed on some level. And then we just got to deal with it now. Well said, well said, right. I, we're, we're trying to wake people up. We've all been trying to wake people up all this time. There is a massive wake up happening. Actually, Twitter. Let's talk about Twitter for a second. Mm-hmm. I've been on Twitter since July of 2008. So I've been, th- I, I went through the communist pogrom as opposed to program. Yes. Pogrom. The pogrom. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the infiltration of the CIA, the FBI, all of these things into Twitter, the way they wrecked that platform, the insanity of what went on with the censorship, the total corruption of the way the algorithm works and just on and on and the shadow banning and just, it's if that's our future, if mm-hmm. that's the future that these liberals or whatever, they're not liberals, they're they're authoritarian, tyrannical communists and fascists. Mm-hmm. I mean, fascist by definition means the mm-hmm. union of the state with the industry. So if big tech's working with government, that's fascism, you guys. That's the definition of it. That's yeah. what happened with Twitter. And then Elon Musk of all people comes in and liberates Twitter to a large degree, about 80% liberation, which is such a burst of freedom on that platform. It's blowing my mind. And every day I'm out there blasting it out hardcore because we're not being censored anymore. No, he might change later. He might get hooked up to a Neuralink, become controlled by an AI and change. <laughs> yes, you know? right. But right now it's open. Get in there, find out the information you need to get. Let's do this. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a, a couple of articles I wanted to cover with you. One, I mean, you know, these mainstream sources are now having to go, we can't hide from this totally. I try, but, uh, one of the articles of the defender, uh, by Brenda Belletti is talking about elite scientists caused deaths by misleading public on COVID. And this is a Newsweek op-ed, uh, Uh, you know, again, stunning things we would never see. Now, some of this is a little too little, a little too late. And it's not like we're suddenly going to be fans of Newsweek, but it's fascinating to watch these folks go, Ooh, you know, we, I guess, you know, and we even had, what what was the guy? um, Scott Adams, uh, the Dilbert creator goes on. uh, We played that video clip last week of like, okay, I, you win, I lose. And yet none of us feel like we won because we weren't into celebrating and dancing on the graves of people who were doing what we perceive to be the, the stupid thing. Uh, yet their perception is that, but he acknowledged, look, all of those of us who were hesitant or obstinate saying, no way we were correct. And they had an opportunity to see at any point, but for whatever reason they were invested in, uh, the status quo in terms of who was the authority, we call them authoritarians. And now they realize, yep, well, I, I put too much egg money in that basket, so to speak. So things are changing there, I have to acknowledge, even though a lot of it is a controlled way to do it, limited hangout way to kind of, how do we keep you on the, or come back into our fold, We even as we acknowledge a little bit, but not all of it. Right, yeah, that that's, it's controlled opposition, isn't it? And see, this is what they're trying to do in all politics. It's like, it's everything's in an Overton window. We can only talk about what's in this box. And, you know, we've pushed the box open now that they have to talk about COVID jab injuries, for example. And now the Overton window has been expanded. And we've also got the controlled opposition going, uh-oh, they know we're controlled opposition. Namely, like the Republicans are basically controlled opposition. So the Democrats are leading us into a surveillance police state um, and, and AI police state. 
And the Republicans are leading us to a surveillance police state, AI police state, just slower. Mm -hmm. Now they know, now we know that it's, they're both leading us down that pathway and we need to radically change course and we're going another way. And there will come a time when we destroy every surveillance camera in our town, in our county, every surveillance camera in our state, that day, that time will come. And not only that, the people who erect them or monitor them or use them will be mm -hmm. arrested as criminals. That's where we've got to get to. Otherwise, we're going to be in a surveillance police state run by, you know, who's at the top, the banksters and the satanic mm -hmm. pedophiles. And more and more people are realizing as they see what a homicidal maniac Dr. Fauci and Bill Gates are and all these other creeps. Mm -hmm. I mean, Bill Gates went to Epstein Island 37 times, read 37 dinners. Look, I haven't had 37 dinners with my mom in the last 10 years. Like what, huh? Like <laughs> yeah, what's wait, going on there? Yeah. And, and then even his wife says, I, I don't want any part of that. That's, a, that's astonishing. Uh, there's another story here. Think about limited hangouts, controlled opposition or whatever. Uh, this headline from Daily Wire, Pfizer denies conducting COVID gain of function research in delayed response to Veritas video. Now, I want to bring Super Don into this discussion because he's been uh, experimenting with this chat GPT thing you've heard about, the AI stuff, where you yep. can ask questions and everything. And yes. Super Don, if, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but you asked him, what's the difference between gain of function and uh, directed evolution? Because that's their new term for gain of function. Well, yeah, because... <clears throat> You know, the way that they put these these stories and these headlines out there and stuff like that, they try to confuse people where it's like, oh, well, it's this. Well, he said it's this, but, you know, it's not like that. It's different, but it's maybe it's not. And somebody will say, no, it's the same. And then somebody will say, no, it's not. It's different. And to the layperson, it's just kind of like, I don't know. what they, I don't even know what either one of those things really means, you know. But, you know, and then they confuse you and then you just go, I don't understand it. And then you move on, right? Well, and I believe that's so, part of the, uh, the operant conditioning, all of these things that confusion right. is a strategy. So back in the old days, <laughs> before they came out with stuff like chat GPT, which I understand some people's reservations about. Okay. Yeah. But what I've done is I've been exploring on how can I take this technology and use it for good purposes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was I, I logged into it this morning and I said, okay. And in fact, I'll show you okay. uh, if you really want to see what I did yeah, yeah. here. Okay. So what I did was I, first thing I did was I asked it, I said, uh, directed evolution versus gain of function. Cause I want to know mm -hmm. what's the difference, right? Now, before you would have had to have looked it up on one thing and then found it a, the, the different definition on another page and then, then tried to compare them and all this stuff. Well, the chat GPT did it all for me. <laughs> so it, it, to, it told me what the difference was between the two. And apparently, and I, I don't know, I mean, if you want to go through all this verbatim, but now we go through an expedited version of it, but basically... Directed, all right, yeah. go ahead, Robert. I'll let you... Directed evolution and gain of function are two different approaches in biotechnology used to modify or improve the function of a protein, okay? So they say directed evolution, a method that mimics natural evolution by introducing random mutations into a protein's genes, then selecting the best performing variants to generate successive generations until a desired trait is... Sounds really lovely. Yes, let's all do that. Yeah. Then gain of function. A research approach that aims to enhance the normal activities of a protein, often by modifying its structure or adding new functions to better understand its role in a biological processor. Nothing about gain of function warfare, <laughs> but, you know, right. biotoxins. No. Okay, so you set that up. Now you go further. So then I was like, all right, so let's let's compare them. So how are they similar? Mm -hmm. Well, the chat DBT said, well, okay, so directed evolution and gain of function are similar that they both aim to modify the function of a protein. Both approaches are used to improve the activity or properties of proteins, making them more useful for scientific or industrial applications. Both methods use biotechnology techniques such as genetic engineering 
and protein engineering to alter the structure of function or protein. So it's, you know, when you read that, you're kind of like, oh, well, they're kind of like each other, aren't they? They're very similar to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I was like, okay, so then what are the dangers of each one of those if they're used on an infectious virus? So chat GBT comes back and it says, okay, well, directed evolution, mm-hmm. that has the risk of creating more virulent strains of the virus, it uh, has the possibility of generating viruses that are resistant to existing treatments or vaccines and the potential for the release of the evolved virus into the environment leading to uncontrolled outbreaks. And I'm like, that sounds pretty serious. But so I guess gain of function should be worse, right? Well, it says here, gain of function has the risk of creating a more pathogenic virus, potentially leading to more severe disease or pandemics, the possibility of the virus being used as a bioweapon, and the mm-hmm. potential for accidental release of the virus from the laboratory. Yeah. And so when you, when, you, when you look at this, right, thank you, Chad, GBT, it basically actually, they compared the two together, and what did we find out? They're almost identical. They're pretty much the same. Yeah. The end result is pretty much the same. It's just... Right. A tweaked little 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 difference in between the two, so that they can go. Oh no, it's not gain of function, but they both can create pandemics and mm-hmm. outbreaks. They, they they both become more uh, pathogenic, or mm-hmm. or what was the other one? Virulent or pathogenic? Yeah. It's like come on, it's the same. And it's the end result. It gets out there, lots of people get it, and people die. Mm-hmm. It's the same same result, in my opinion. Now, yeah, I, I look at that phenomenal a little a- exercise you did there, and we find out they're pretty much the same. They just tweak some language a little bit, even from a, a an artificial intelligence perspective. And this doesn't get into the controversies we do cover from time to time about our viruses really causative agents and on and on. But when we talk about engineering proteins with genetic sequences to direct a DNA protein synthesis, that you know, that's that's whole next level stuff. This is all, I believe, biowarfare and biotoxin investigation for the purpose of either fear-mongering or actually killing people. There's no question that the Ukraine war has been instigated because there was over 40, over 40 bio labs run by NATO and the U.S. and Western supposed democracies in the Ukraine where this type of research was going on, directed evolution or whatever the little thing is, gain of function or whatever. Now, these types of viruses, by the way, from the vi- let's go into the virus versus or germ versus mm-hmm. terrain theory. These are, these are materials that it's basically cellular poop, right? So when you flood somebody with cellular poop, namely viruses, they're going to get sick because it's nanotoxin. And But is that the causative agent of the virus? And my, my answer is no. Usually the causative agent of the virus is parasites. Hmm. They actually create the nano, the nano poop. And hmm. uh, if you, fl- again, flood somebody with the nano poop. So, for example, you know, how did they instigate this whole, the whole pandemic? They probably went around to different areas in Houston, New York City, uh, Milan. What was the place in Italy? One of those cities in northern Italy where they they hit it hard, Venice maybe. Um, they did that in Tehran. They did it in a few cities. They obviously did it in Wuhan where mm-hmm. they, they literally just dumped massive amounts of spike protein into the environment. Not viral. Well, we could say they're viruses, but it's really viral poop. Mm-hmm. And then that could have instigated people getting sick. And then they through the media leverage, they then said there's a pandemic going on because the, the evidence more and more continuously shows there was never a pandemic going on. There was a few spikes in some cities, which they used with their media assets to promote and hype a pandemic. Mm-hmm. The obvious goal being to get everybody injected with the pandemic. I want to put that perspective out there because that's personally my perspective. That's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Sure. There could have been a leak out of the lab and it could have been, there could have been actually viruses going around. Sure. But the evidence isn't strong on that, especially not in the terms of the death count. 
the evidence indicates that their real goal is to get everybody injected. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. then, by the way, if I inject you with something, again, I grew up with doctors, you did too, you know this. If you inject somebody with something, within 20 minutes, that something shows up in their lungs. 20 minutes. Doesn't take a genius to figure out what they're doing, right? If they inject you with a respiratory, whatever, parasite, mm-hmm. where does it, what's going to happen? Where does it show up and what happens? Yeah. And I want to go back to the word you use, parasite, because it, I found it fascinating that the two allopathic responses that actually worked for people to help them were both anti-parasitics, you know, hydroxychloroquine, which is decades, decades old and, and ivermectin. And yet, you know, they often overlook things like copper, which are potent anti-parasitics and also that people were driving copper out of their bodies with the overuse of zinc and vitamin C in the absence of copper, for instance, and copper has been wiped out of the soils. And so even copper rich foods are not copper rich. So there are things that are also parallel to your, your statement about parasites. And we go back to Holda Clark and many others who have said the parasitic explanation of all disease, including cancer. And now we're seeing promotions and peer reviewed articles on ivermectin curing cancer. Isn't that interesting? Parasites. There's yeah, yeah. There's no question that the cancer phenomenon is a parasite-based phenomenon at this point. Different cancers require different strategies because it's a different type of parasite. Hormonal cancers, for example, you know, I'm going to go with olive leaf extract, really concentrated amounts of olive leaf extract to uh, an oleoerupine to attack that kind of a thing. But it could be very different. Laetrile could be very effective against another type of cancer over mm-hmm. here. It, this is where we re- need to have the real studies and the real real um, research which is all blocked by the current system, right? That's what Dr. Fauci really is, by the way. He's a gatekeeper. He's a blocker. He's in there to make sure that real technology is blocked and stopped. That's why there's an FDA type of thing in every country in the world. Health Canada, for example. Every country has one of these things installed by Big Pharma to make sure homeopathic cures are ridiculed, make sure that natural nutrition, make sure that herbal nutrition, all ridiculed, make sure that everybody's on the process crap make sure that everybody's being injected, make sure everybody's being um, basically brain damaged by their system so they're easier to control. And over the years, step by step, they've increased the toxicity of their drugs, which is brain damaging people more, is maiming people more, which is making the population more docile and more accepting of the rest of their BS. Mm-hmm. But at some point, as the parasite develops to the stage of taking over the host and then eventually killing the host. See, this is why people go, you know, why would they be spraying us? I mean, aren't they spraying themselves too? The parasite can't help it. That's parasite consciousness. Come on. See, they're, they're obeying laws of nature. They're just parasitic laws of nature. Evil is parasitic. That's the nature of it. And I see a, a pattern emerge going back to the, the HIV scam you know, of AIDS. Hard kill to soft kill. The hard kill was AZT. Let's poison people and claim it's the cure and have the people that were most affected by demand that they have access to the most toxic poisons, wiping them out. And then they moderated the dose to a soft kill level and said, look, it's working now. And look, people are alive. Same thing with the initial phase of what we call COVID. There was the hard kill initial phase in certain regions that caused the fear of people to go, well, bring me the cure. And then the soft kill comes out, which was hard for some in terms of immediacy, but nobody really knows hot lots, soft lots, what was in it. I mean, there was all kinds of chaos associated with this that we may never find out really. And yet now we see the, the, well, the Scott Adams example is like, now he's got to be concerned because he took the jabs within the next five years. Is he going to be dead based on 
what it's doing to his body on an ongoing basis. So that's the soft version of it. You've got people to participate in a mass suicide Jim Jones cult that is an instant Kool-Aid anymore, but so slowly over time and people are dropping in sudden death scenarios along the way, but nobody knows definitively why one this and not the other this. And there's so much we still don't know, but we can certainly speculate on. Totally. How bad is my batch.com? I think that was the website that had all the hot batches. That was that guy who put that together was a Dutch pharmaceutical analytics guy. Mm -hmm. So he basically realized that there's hot batches out there. Now, let me throw this out there because I've been in this really deep hardcore for years at this point. What we found out in that research is that there were some hot batches or hot lots, meaning that some of the some of the vaccines, quote, supposed injections, whatever they are, mm -hmm. were really dangerous. But when Pfizer was putting out the deadly ones, Moderna, AstraZeneca, J&J were not. We know from that data that they were colluding together in that way. So when J&J was putting out the deadly ones, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Moderna, whatever, they pulled back their deadly batches. Think of that level of coordination. So from my perspective, they know exactly what they're doing. This is a massive experiment. They know what happened with their hot lots. They've been analyzing VAERS reporting to see, okay, this hot lot killed this many people. That hot lot got this much got reported. This hot lot maimed that many people based on the international reporting. At least it's most of it's inaccurate, obviously, because most people don't report. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, they're monitoring at that level. They know exactly what they're doing. These people are harmonically possessed, which means they're mm -hmm. super intellectuals, but they have no heart, right? So yeah. they're sociopaths. And yes. so therefore they're analyzing the data, they're crunching the numbers. So when you see like someone like an Albert Borla, that guy knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what experiments they've been running here. And they've been running hundreds of experiments too. That's another thing. People are like, oh, this is the Omicron variant. It's like, dude, you, they're injecting the population with a hundred variants. To see what happens. They don't know because they, they're getting real-time data because we're all volunteering. Well, not all of us. And of course, there's no true informed consent as well. But for those that have a difficulty believing or conceiving of what you're saying, David, I, I look at it this way. I try to relate to folks. Not everybody has the same value system as you do and I do and this audience does. And they use that against us because yeah. we would we would never do anything like that. So, of course, no one else would either because we would never. And that is, uh, I, I don't want to be naive a little bit, but it's just a hard thing to, to, to grasp a reality where humans can do great evil, visit great evil on other humans. But there's plenty of examples throughout history. Then we're deluded into believing, well, because of technology and the internet, they couldn't get away with it like they did in the past. That's right. Yet, what are we witnessing? This is, we're in the first stage out of the Kali Yuga. You know, this is the first stage of the, is the apocalypse, which is the, re, re, the great reveal. Oh, here comes the curtain. Look at all this evil that's going on. Look at these evil actors. These people you trusted? You got to be kidding me. You trusted these giant corporations that have a known history of massive amounts of felony fraud? Yeah. It's unbelievable. Billions of dollars. Um, but nevertheless, what I do want to say this. You know, what causes someone like a pharmaceutical analyst, a, a data guy to flip, to go from like all in on that business to yeah. these people are killing everybody? What would cause that? unless he actually knew and saw it, right? What's going to cause someone like a, um, you know, let's let's say, what's what's the great McCullough, you know, or Malone or people who are deeply involved in that world of medicine, injecting people and everything to flip out of it. 
you know, what, what has to happen there? They're seeing the writing on the wall to quote the book of Daniel and mm-hmm. they, they're seeing what's going on. And they're like, we no, we're blowing the whistle on this. They're actually, or they're oriented towards actually helping people, even though they were indoctrinated in the medical system right. and indoctrinated in all that BS that goes on, they still have some sense of heart yeah. and that's key. This stuff, this harmonic deception, the materialistic mindset is all mine, no heart. Exactly. And, and in that, you become a programmed robot. You're, you do as you're told. And uh, then again, you know, even though the Nuremberg Code is something uh, that I'm grateful exists, it certainly let a lot of them off the hook because of, you know, the Operation Paperclip. It's like, no, we can use that guy and that guy and that guy. And so there's- Including Dr. Eric Traub, who was an Operation Paperclip Nazi, that I want to interject here for a second for everybody because I went deep on this guy. They, they chased him around Berlin for about four years till the U.S. finally nabbed him from the Soviets. And they brought him to the U.S. and they set up Plum Island. And that's where, and, and Dr. Eric Traub was an Operation Paperclip Nazi whose specialty was weaponizing tick diseases. Mm-hmm. And he was the inventor of Lyme's disease. He just took what was already existing as tick diseases and made it more virulent, 10 times more virulent, actually. So when people say, oh, well, no, those Borrelia diseases have always been around. It's like, yeah, but they were weaponized by Dr. Eric Traub, an Operation Paperclip Nazi. And it was released. It got out. It wasn't released. It escaped off of Plum Island. And if you look at Plum Island, New York, you can see that it radially increases in cases coming out from that island. The highest incidence of cases are in a radius around that island. And the whole phenomenon of Lyme's disease radiates mm-hmm. by case numbers from that island. Right. That's an Operation Paperclip Nazi um, event that should have never happened. But yet they've wrecked the ecosystem, the whole eastern seaboard of the United States, at least New England, because of Lyme's disease and Lyme ticks. It's so insane. Yeah. And and we come back to the contemporary admission. That's not an admission, but is an admission. We're not really doing gain of function. It's directed evolution. And we've just learned from chat GPT. It's not different in reality. And yet these experiments have been conducted for decades and decades and decades. We only now are hearing about it in this, uh, in this realm. Now, finally, as we wrap up with you this hour, David, it's so good to see you, my friend. It's just, yeah, always thanks for having me. Appreciate together. seeing you, bro. Thanks for doing the work uh, you're doing. This is, this is a great story, a little bit of fun and lightheartedness in the midst of some of the darkness that we have to talk about and cover. And that is, uh, Novak Djokovic, this guy, uh, you know, the best tennis player in the world and has been for years. He gets denied entry, kicked out of Australia a year ago because he won't get the jab and he stands on principle. He's even being interviewed by mainstream reporters. Are you willing to give? Yeah, I'm willing to give it all up because you know what I believe. Gosh, darn it. That that's an amazing guy. And he goes back to Australia as they've eliminated that requirement and he wins the Australian open. And guess who's in the stands watching him Bill the gates of hell. Uh, this is like one of those little moments where you can go, well, there's a little, little, little teeny bits of justice here and there to show people what it is like, what, what it really means to stand in the face and, and triumph in the midst of a lot of things that we are not, not fans of, but this guy, I'm a true fan. So in 2017, Novak called me and he said, come out. I want to, I want you to teach me like what, you know, I've got my whole diet plan. I want you to show me, what do you think that's going on here? You know, what do you, what, what's your analysis of my injury he had a career ending elbow injury and i so i went over there we I flew over there stayed with him for three days awesome i love him and his wife and we're really good friends we were on the phone with him as he was being chased around melbourne a year ago he's hiding in the bathroom on the phone with Shervine and i mm-hmm. in the courthouse i mean that's how crazy this stuff is and by the way novak is carrying the whole team right now 
the whole mm-hmm. anti-vax. He's carrying it. Let's like, come on, let's give this guy some support and let's go out there and do what he's doing. He's carrying the whole team right now. What a legend. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, the, I, I went over there and I looked at his, his, I analyzed his whole diet. And I was like, dude, you're not going to make it. You got to change. You got a radical change because you're going to get deficient in Jing. You're going to run mm-hmm. out of gas. And mm-hmm. so we changed his whole thing around. Really, I think oriented him towards a, a, a tremendous healing that occurred between October and about really about January, where he he healed that injury in his elbow, serving elbow. He had a stress fracture. Anybody can look that up. That was back in 2017, going into 2018. Mm-hmm. And then since then, we've been like best friends. And because he's, you know, I'm in my 50s, he's in his 30s. Um, he's really close. He's tighter with Shervin because mm-hmm. you know they're more of the same age. And then we, he's like family, you know, he's like family to us. And, and, you know, I'm going to have him here out once I said, when your tennis career is over, come stay with us in Hawaii for, you know, a couple months and just, you know, get into the whole vibes and we're going to, we're going to plant together and have some good, some good times, but he's just completely committed to that world. And he is one of us. He knows it's all a fraud. He knows it's all a scam. He knows exactly who kill bill is. He knows exactly what's going on with the sinister Dr. Fraudji. He knows exactly what Pfizer's all about. And he stood his ground and he shut them up. Mm-hmm. He's so epic. What a victory. And by the way, I've talked to Novak extensively about mental mm-hmm. toughness. He is by far the mentally toughest athlete maybe in history. He studied it. He started with Pete Sampras. That was his thing. He's like, I'm going to study Pete Sampras. I'm going to, because Pete Sampras was extremely mentally tough. Novak's mm-hmm. way beyond that now. Novak is mentally the toughest athlete maybe in history. And he went into Australia in spite of all that BS from last year and just shut them up and <laughs> shut them down and then ties for number one in grand slams ever in history. In history. And he's going to nail tennis. Yeah. And he's going to beat that as well. And I knew, I knew you guys knew him and, and Shervine who believe it or not, I don't think I've ever had on the show, which is embarrassing. So, tell so your he just texted me, right? That's so yeah. I didn't even realize that he texted yeah. me during the show. I'm like, dude, or he tried to call me actually. And I was like, dude, I'm mm-hmm. on this show. Like hang on, hang on tight. So I'll yeah. send him a little message back and be like, hey, bro, like I'm, I'm let on, him know. I got to meet him on the show. Yeah, briefly uh, years ago down there in in his area. But yeah, I want to get together with you guys and do some more, and uh, eventually make it out to Hawaii and see you guys there one time as well. Because what you're doing is so extraordinary, and it's just a living example for what we can all do and be and 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 be so much better. And I'm glad that you had that impact on Novak. He's really making an impact on the world in a positive and powerful way. He's carrying the team right now. What an incredible superhero he is. And just for everyone out there, you know, we've been dealing with these crooks all my life. I've been dealing, you know, so Robert Scott Bell is a great example. Someone who's dealing with this sinister nature of our world, you know, on a daily basis, trying to alert people, but we can still be happy. That's really important. Yeah. And and out here in Hawaii and out, you know, at our location in Texas, we're planting, we're having fun, we're laughing. And that's important to know, like, you don't have to get attached to the whole BS of what's going on. That's a gong show. Right. It's more like entertainment. You know, when you when I see Dr. Fauci talking, it's friggin' hilarious, man. This is be, way beyond it. I don't watch movies. I, I can just watch that dude or these other criminals and be like, look, there's this, there's our James Bond right there. There's our James Bond supervillain. It's happening right there. So don't let it get you down. Um, this is a necessary step. It's actually glorious, actually. We want this to yeah. all be exposed. It's glorious for someone like Novak to just shut Kill Bill down. It's mm-hmm. awesome. And finding reason to celebrate. There's plenty. Finding uh, people to, to to share joy with, to create the happiness that we're here to create and co-create. That is the big part of all of this, even though we cover this, to help you navigate it and to wake up beyond it and get beyond the fear. Because many of us have lived in fear at various times in our lives. I have, and I know, and I remember And so I try to remember that to have compassion for those that are still living in fear to say, hey, come on over. We're having a great time over here. Celebrate with us. 
as I celebrate with my friend David Avocado Wolf. God bless you, my brother. God bless you, man. And everyone out there, have the best day ever. You got it. Big hugs, my friend. And we got a lot more healing to go on the Robert Scott Bell Show. We got pragmatist discussion in hour two, which is going to be a blast. I'm going to have fun with that. I want to say thanks to all of those that support this message of health, freedom, and healing liberty around the world. You know who you are. Those of you support us through Patreon, God bless you. Thank you for joining us each month for our AMAs. Uh, shout out to our friends at Nutritional Frontiers. Of course, Trinity School of Natural Health. We've got the Trinity Health Freedom Expo virtual coming up February 18th and 19th. 30 bucks gets you in three months of access to the entirety of everything that went on there and more that's coming up as well. And I've got so much more. I want to tell you about upcoming events. We'll do that in the second hour as well. When we go into the, I just get, joke about this, the pragmatist guide to the galaxy or something along those lines. So get ready for that and a whole lot more. Thanks for being here. God bless you. The power to heal is yours. This hour, we're going to be joined by Malcolm Collins and Simone Collins talking pragmatism in various ways. And I'm looking forward to our conversation together uh, shortly. Uh, stick around for that and a whole lot more. Um, Super Don, I was uh, uh, talking about my mom, of course. It was her birthday on Sunday. And I mentioned that, you know, I saw the video of her friend Sandra had done it at their little theater that she has. They were playing a little theater. Dude, I watched this thing. and I'm like. That's yeah. not that's not a little theater. You know, it's like a whole movie theater. Is that like in their house? No, no, it's actually at oh. a, it's an office complex. It's a Okay. Her, her, her my friend Sandra or my mom's best friend Sandra has yeah. a theater that, you know, like major studios will go yeah. to like yeah. do previews and things, you know, off, right. off out out of the public view kind of thing. And so they're hired out in front. And so she hosted my mom for her 89th birthday on the 29th of January. And the uh, Born in 1934, and mm. apparently, I didn't know it went back that far, but 1934 was a Ginger Rogers, Fred Astaire movie, and that was what they were planning to do for the birthday, air that They're movie. They're going to watch the movie? The movie that came out the year she was born. And right. uh, I, could, could we see that little video clip of mom dancing? Apparently, yeah. they did more than watch the movie, it looks like. Here. Yeah. Here we go. Kind of see somebody there in the dark. Looks like they're dancing. There, oh, there we go. Mom. Dancing with another of her friends. While Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers twirls. How cool is this? Now, for those of you who don't know, you know, mom at 89, the last few years have been pretty tough on her because she's a, a non-drug uh, woman, doesn't do drugs, right? And... You know, in the last three years during COVID, I don't know that anything was necessarily COVID related, but a lot of skin issues, weird allergies that emerged. And so she hasn't been able to do all the things she loves to do, particularly dancing. And then my good friend, Fabry Oren, in Folium PX Center in December, a three-pronged approach to Folium PX Immuno and, and everything. And in a couple of weeks, she got her energy back. She went out dancing on the 1st of January, on New Year's Day. And here she is on her 89th birthday dancing Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. I'm just like smiling. This is amazing. They like got the whole like theater to themselves? Yeah, I guess so. That's pretty yeah, cool. It wasn't a huge party, but they had right. a number of friends that were there. But yeah, it is a nice theater. Look at that. 
Oh. That's really cool, man. There you go, mom. Love you. Yeah. Thank you, Sandra, for having her over for that party. And and actually, that was a great clip. How cool is that? And if y'all haven't plugged into the Folium PX, good Lord, if it can help my mom with what she's been through, think about it. Chernobyl level antioxidant activity, binding heavy metals, binding radiation stuff, and getting it out of your body. What can that do for you? Folium, F-O-L-I-U-M-P-X dot com. Check it out. The three-pronged approach is great. RSB 10 to get a discount as well. Or you can just call and... Mention Robert Scott Bell Show and Gabriel hook you up. Anyway, thanks for playing that, Super D. That was great. Yeah, and, my uh, pleasure. I know before we started the show today, too, you had uh, 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 like suddenly had to upload or, or, or download software. <laughs> it was the, I, it, had I not had this backup PC up and running and ready to go. Yeah. I, yeah, I saw we, you scrambling. I was very impressed. So I think we started about a minute late, but it's okay. Yeah. You know, flexibility there yeah, and, and no were you able to um download or upload this old uh demo promo thing we did no because in order to play it through the board it's yeah. it's forcing me to have to update the firmware on the board first okay so yeah it's i, I can't play it but well we'll come back to it one day it's it healthcare yeah. gets a d from 2009 old, old promo that we had for the show back in the day yeah. Yeah. so um as we were talking with david last hour um, acknowledging the collapse of the old system, but you know, within the old system is you know a meritorious type of good system that is you know foundation of our country, the Constitution, where it limited government and maximized freedom of the people, and recognized that rights come from God, not government. So there's goodness within that system that is somehow somehow lost, and there needs as well as much as we are setting up parallel systems that don't rely on them, there needs to be those that go in and try to do some a little bit of rescue work, a little bit of fix them up. And that doesn't mean uh, you're deluded to think that one person could do everything, but to have good people in there is also a very important part of our recovery. And I just want to let you know it's official now. It's the 31st of January, 2023. Our good friend, my good friend, Jonathan E. Mord, has officially declared his candidacy for the United States Senate out of Virginia to defeat Tim Kaine in the 2023 election cycle for 2024. But, yeah, it's official now. And if you go to emord4va.com, uh, emord4va.com, uh, you, you'll be able to support further and track along the way and, and attend various events that are going to happen between now and then. And I'm going to try to be in as, as many of them as I can. There's uh, one coming up in Glendale, Los Angeles, California, coming up soon. Another one in Phoenix, Scottsdale, Arizona. There'll be more around the country, Florida, uh, various places. And you, you can check the upcoming events. And um, yeah, you can see the quote there. We will overcome all obstacles to freedom and progress. The greatest days for Virginia and America are yet to come. And I've written an endorsement article. And I don't know that it's been published yet, but Super Don, I sent it to you. And we can also put it up and feel free to take it and share it once you have access to it to let people know why. Uh, Jonathan Emord would be a great boon to all of us, not just Virginia, to be in the United States Senate. A man of great integrity, constitutional knowledge. He's beaten back the oligarchy eight times, world record eight times against the FDA. He knows the fear and death administration, and, and it's not protecting the public, but quite the opposite is what's happening. Uh, so that's great news, folks, in the midst of a lot of things that are happening. Uh, I'm happy to report that. And, and we should uh, report live Thursday unless uh, timing is off for him with the new uh, schedule he's on, but we should have him on and we'll talk more about now the official campaign has begun and um, I'm grateful to uh, to be a part of it, not officially, but unofficially and just be a friend 
uh, and support someone like that. Can you imagine him in there with Rand Paul, uh, Senator Mike Lee, uh, Ron Johnson? There's some people that have integrity and really care about the Constitution, and it would only strengthen with Jonathan E. Moore there. All right, so uh, one other thing, upcoming events, I wanted to let you know, I mentioned the um, uh, the upcoming Health Freedom Expo virtual, but right after that, 22nd through 25th in Buford, Georgia, outside of Atlanta at the uh, Lake Linder Islands Resort is the, well, there it is, yeah, Next Steps Conference. And on the 21st, there's a nurse event, Nurse Freedom Network event as well with Kimberly uh, Overton. But if you if you check out next-steps.org, I believe it is, Next info. Oh, I'm info. You keep doing dot org. Why? I know. I don't know why. It's just I'm I, I everything that I'm trying to remember, one thing I miss. Okay. Don't Next go to dot org. I have no idea what that'll take you to. But use the code RSB10, <laughs> get 10% off tickets, and we want to see you there and celebrate my birthday with me. Uh, because it'll be my birthday weekend that weekend there on the 23rd. So uh, looking right. forward to that. And then we've got more events with Nutritional Frontiers. We've got another event in September that's opened up in Las Vegas. We'll tell you about the Biomed Expo and uh well, there's so much more. All right, Super D, what other announcements have I forgotten before we go to our guests this hour? I think we're ready to go right to the guests. You think so? They're, they're patiently waiting in the green room. I think they yeah. run all out of uh, run out of M and M's and stuff. So, oh no. Yeah. Well, if you check out pragmatistfoundation.com, that'll give you a sneak preview as to some of the things we're going to cover, including pragmatist.guide. Let's welcome to the Robert Scott Bell Show, Malcolm and Simone Collins. Welcome both of you. Glad to have you on board. We are excited to be here today. And I, I'll tell you what we've been talking about most these days is birth rates. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something, you know, Elon's been trying to signal to us, just look at the data. Mm -hmm. And the data is horrifying. It, it is so much worse than what the public narrative is telling people these days. Um, you know, I, the U.S. has been below fertility rate for a long time now. And a lot of people, they say, oh, you know, fix it with immigrants. And it's like, but do, do they not know that like two or three years ago, all of Central America, Latin America and the Caribbean fell below repopulation rate? Like all but the, the, the most desperately poor countries in the world today are not replacing their populations. And these crash so much faster than people think. Mm -hmm. So... Korea was where I really started to focus on this. I was working in venture capital out there. And right now they have a birth rate of a fertility rate of 0 0.8 or 0 0.7. And what that means is that for every hundred Koreans alive today, there will be either 4.3 or like 6.5 great grandchildren. We're looking at like a 95% population collapse. And meanwhile, progressives are here having an absolute spaz out about like a 1% death rate potentially. Um, and this is really dangerous for our society for a few reasons. Um, and it's really promising for a few reasons. Uh, you know, it's dangerous because uh, we've built our entire economy on a bit of a pyramid scam. Mm -hmm. Like the idea that we will always see growth. If you put your money on the stock market, it grows on average. Well, that happens because the number of workers in the economy is growing exponentially and the productivity per worker is growing linearly. But if the number of workers starts to fall exponentially, that mm -hmm. means the economy starts to shrink on average. And yet we have levered, we've taken debt out at the city level, at the state level, at the national level. And that's great when things are growing, but that is terrible mm -hmm. if things ever start to shrink. And that's what we saw in Detroit. Um, so that's, that's you know, what we're here to talk about. And I, I think, you know, the, we can get to the positive side later, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and the other aspect of that is the monetary policy because of the Federal Reserve System. 
the ability to monetize debt, to print, 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 and then lay that debt out on people that aren't even born yet, even though there are fewer people being born because of fertility rates dropping. I've been covering this issue long before there was COVID and COVID jabs impacting fertility even more horrifically negatively because of the exposure to food that lacks vitamins, minerals, trace minerals, as well as it's unfortunately containing very toxic carcinogenic uh, poisons from modern agriculture, factory farming. Uh, synthetic xenoestrogens, other things that are altering our ability yep. to procreate as a species. Now, those who win, at least their perception of winning, these globalists that have an agenda, an overt agenda of population reduction, are succeeding in reducing population growth, which ultimately will what re result in what? Their ability to control fewer people? I mean, there's a lot of agenda yep. discussion well, here. It's a dumb agenda on their part, and I'll explain why. So the, the, sometimes the progressive mindset just becomes so cult-like that it doesn't even notice the research that it is producing. And a very well-replicated finding, and this is seen if you have like identical twins that are raised apart, is that the way we vote is highly heritable, around 60 to 70% heritable, depending on the study. Mm -hmm. um, they have been much better at keeping progressives and people in cities from having kids than they've been at keeping conservatives from having kids. And so we should expect a major shift in voting patterns within a generation. And this is what's really interesting, intragenerationally. So within a generation, if they keep people from finding partners, if they keep people from building healthy relationships, what happens is you have more single women and more single men and more single men and more single women are much more likely to vote uh, for progressive causes and democratic causes, but intergenerationally, because these people aren't continuing their culture or are not continuing their families, their belief systems die out. And this is also part of why the fight right now that we're having, and this is what we're doing with the Collinsinstitute.org over mm -hmm. the school system is so important. It is why you are seeing in cities like Manhattan, um, you know, a drive, not just to kill uh, homeschooling programs, which, which you see across the U.S., but even to kill private schooling programs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even the private schools have been co-opted by much of the globalist agenda we've seen. Oh, yeah. It's very rare. I mean, I, I, I brought my daughter out west so we can get her in an American heritage school that actually doesn't teach a hatred of America, you know, acknowledges the goodness of the origin points and our high ideals that we, we strive to achieve and continue to do better and be better uh, because of those ideals. Uh, yet another aspect of what you talked about, the the short-term uh, benefit perception, but long-term detriment for those that want to uh, decrease population, who has been most reluctant to get the uh, the COVID jab? Those of us who have a, a strong uh, suspicion that the agenda of government and medicine and media is not in our best interest, is not actually helpful. And so the people that are resisting are, are the ones that already aren't in their fold and are not likely to ever, and in fact, are, are strong and healthy enough to resist violently if necessary. And that's not my first choice, but we recognize our right to life includes our right to, to defense. Mm -hmm. And and that's, uh, so again, a short-sighted version of because they're killing off a lot of their supporters uh, with the, you know, the acceptance of these uh, experimental mRNA injections that are resulting in died suddenly becoming a, a, a term that's uh, a very common, unfortunately, to even children they're hearing of this thing. Simone, you got anything? Oh man, I mean, there's so much, there's so much to deal with on the subject. I mean, the the fun thing is that the long term, the long term future for those who want to have families, who want to defend their way of life, who want to defend their culture, is really bright. 
um, you know, Malcolm's point about, you know, right now um, and over the short term, especially through sort of a public school indoctrination system, we're seeing more unaffiliated converted people who are going to vote very, very progressively. Those people very quickly will pass away, not have children. And then suddenly we're going to see much larger populations of those who chose to protect their own cultures, of those who chose to have children, basically inheriting the world. So as much as things seem over the short run, like, oh, this is, you know, we're, we're losing, we're overwhelmed, you know, society is very much ganging up against us. Um, that society is going to shift much more quickly and steeply than you yeah. would imagine, which I think is very interesting. And, and, and it's really fascinating. You know, w w you were saying like all you need to do to win the game of society these days is is pass on your culture and mm -hmm. and and have kids. And um, this really changes the name of a game. And it's just geopolitics hasn't caught up yet. Like the Russia Ukraine war is so stupid because Russia is well below replacement rate. Ukraine is well below replacement rate in terms of the number of kids each is having. And they're killing like an entire generation on, on both of their sides. The land doesn't matter when you don't have people. Yeah, it's the same with China. You know, for a long time, yeah. people liked playing up China as this big menace. China is going to take over the world. China this and that. You know, it, it's going to be... And I mean, it's already. Yeah, it's, well, and depending on the study you're looking is, at, they're yeah. expected to be at like half their current population was in like 45 years or something yeah, now. That is not the, I mean, Malcolm, tell, yeah. tell your hot take about Taiwan. <laughs> I don't want to go too deep on China, but I'll tell my hot take. I, I yeah. think here, this is the spiciest take you'll get from me right now. So China <laughs> is in such a bad position because of their demographics. So, um, I mean, I could get into like how China is right now. But what they did is they uh, took out what can be thought of as the one-child policy, a demographic dividend. So normally when a country is uh, developing, like a demographic debt. So when a country is developing, their, their pyramid, population pyramid looks like this. Like there's less people at the top, there's more people at bottom. Um, and uh, you, you, society can be thought of as existing in three layers on this pyramid, right? You have the middle layer, which is the producers, and then you have sort of the parasitic, layers, which are the very old and the very young, right? Um, and so as a population develops, the pyramid begins to look more like this. Um, and so it, it begins to become burdened with more old people, but it's okay because it's generating more money. China did something insane and they made a pyramid like this, where they basically had a period of like 50 years or 40 years or something where it was all producers because they stopped the kids, but they didn't have any old people because they were still developing. And so it inflated in the eyes of the world, the size of their economy and what China meant as an economic player. But this was always a debt that would have to be paid because this middle layer of the pyramid is eventually going to look like this as they age. And so you have a bunch of young people trying to support old people. Um, and their fertility rate is continuing to collapse. China's done everything it can to try to get birth rates up. They're they even are starting begging. to close down vasectomy clinics. Yeah, starting to limit. Oh yeah, they they people. obviously repealed the one child rule, and now yeah. no, now they have a three child mandate. Right yeah. now they're four. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But, and yet, but, if you're not fertile, you can't produce them anyway. Yeah, but despite this, their birth rate year over year this last year fell 13%. That is insanely fast, in spite of everything that they're doing to try to get it up. So China. Mm -hmm economically, you just can't stay stable with a population that's decreasing that quickly. And um, what this means is that we will likely see China as a power fail within the next 10 to 20 years. 
Um, and what's really funny is, well, what happens then? Do we, I mean, China's failed before what typically happens. It splits into warring states or something like that. And if that happens, <laughs> given the economic power of Taiwan, China might actually reunify under Taiwan. They might actually have a reason to be afraid of Taiwan. Um, and I think we in the world typically look at the situation and it seems so lopsided. Uh, but I think that's because we don't see the ticking clock, the, the, mm -hmm. um, Oh, the the dagger hanging above China's head right now, which is their population number. Population, uh, Malcolm, you've spent a lot of time, I believe, in South Korea, so you've been in Asia yeah. on the ground. That's why you have a unique uh, perspective and and are you know so emphatic about what you've witnessed there. Not yeah. not everybody has that, and I appreciate you sharing that that insight as well. And also, when you talk about the parasite class, some people can be offended by the language, but it's just an objective analysis when you're producing versus taking what is being produced. Mm -hmm. And it's not a judgment. It's just an analysis in terms of the economy. Uh, yeah, and I want yeah. people to hear that correctly instead of, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. oh well, my God, that sounds so bad. Sure, yeah, and honestly, like, yeah. the, the interesting thing is mm -hmm. there's so much that could be done culturally to amend that. I mean, mm -hmm. we'll say, like, in the, in the long-term evolution of humanity, there's a reason why humans live... For example, why uh, females live past menopause, why why humans live at older ages. Like there is a place for what we could call tribal el elders, for, mm -hmm. for the more elderly members of society. And often that is for taking care of kids. Yeah. So, you know, typically these two parasitic, par well, well, we could call it now parasitic parts of the pyramid, the very young and the very old, typically they take care of each other. Well, the productive part of the economy or a society is moving that society forward, getting important resources and supporting both of those groups. The problem is right now in many developed societies, both of these classes that would normally through this nice system take care of each other are both drains on society independently getting taken care of, not by, you know, each other, but by separate economic units, by daycares, by elderly homes. Um, and as that part of society breaks down, you know, we're seeing many losses and efficiencies. So also there's sort of this cultural failure, the societal failure um, mm -hmm. that makes the the fallout of demographic collapse even worse than it would I mean, be. They've atomized the family unit. And that yeah. was the goal was to break our ties to tradition, mm -hmm. because that is how the mainstream culture we call the virus yeah. spread. You know, it, it, it spread and it outcompeted the other cultures because it needed to, it, and, and to do that, it needed to yeah. weaken the immune system, like the internal integrity of yeah. this multi-generational family tradition. Well, yeah, and we got to break that. it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and one of the things I've observed and the economics of, of the family over the course of the 20th century, as government continued to grow larger and larger under progressive ideas, uh, it it dominated the economy so much and the, the, the burden on the family was so much, the growth of government took so much that now they under the guise of, uh, what do they call it, liberation. Now women were forced to move out of the house to work like the men traditionally. Mm -hmm. And so now you had children being raised more by school systems and other uh, government institutions and we lost that ability to have a, a someone stay at home. I, and personally, I don't care whether it's a man or the woman. I mean, we were very traditional and in, in, in my wife's a doctor of chiropractic and she retired to be doctor mom once we had kids. That's how important she and I both felt about raising the kids would be. And yet so many have not been able to because of the economic burden, I believe, placed on us by the growth of an unlimited government and that burden to be everything, do everything for everyone. And the tax burden continued to grow. So one person couldn't, for the most part, bring it in. So that's part of the destruction. And this is not me saying, again, 
women should not be allowed to make decisions about how they want to live their life. Absolutely not. I'm for freedom. But in terms of the value of a family, uh, a nuclear family, and the raising of children and the passing on the you know things that are important in our culture, what really matters to us, uh, the destruction of the family has been the evolution of a, a progressivist, globalist, collectivist movement, more, cl- more akin to socialism, communism, and even adopting fascism is the only way to go because we feel like we're all victims now and we can't do it ourselves. So we need government or other interventions to save us. Yet it was that very intervention that doomed us. Well, we would take what you say and take it even one step further. Um, So we would argue that the nuclear family was sort of this short-term aberration that was sort of made possible by single breadwinner, lifelong corporate job society, which honestly hasn't been the norm for the vast majority of human history. So for the vast majority of human history, it has been even better than that. Rather than the the reliance on like one corporation for an income to support a family, the family was everything. The the family supported itself. Mm -hmm. So kids went to work with their parents. You know, they were out in the field. They were out helping around the house that, mm-hmm. you know, husbands and wife worked together on whatever their business was. Maybe it was a bakery. Maybe they had a farm together. They, they, you know, mm-hmm. or like, you know, they, they had small cottage industries in their house. Yeah. And we actually feel like we're at the precipice of a really interesting turning point in society where that is going to become possible again. And we'll mm-hmm. see a reintegration of families that choose to opt out of the system to become more self-reliant, to have their own sovereignty to Mm -hmm. regain that sovereignty and begin to work together as real productive economic units, independent of this, this victimhood culture of Mm -hmm. dependence of reliance on the state, which makes us very excited. And we've even experimented this with our own company. So we moved to work from home Mm -hmm. years before COVID. And when we did that, we had this huge jump in productivity within our company. But after COVID, we made another crazy shift, which is we let our best employees as rewards hire family members. And then we had another huge explosion in productivity. And this is something, you know, I went, I got my MBA at Stanford and like you are taught never hire, never hire family members or they will like cut you out. They will screw you over. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it's just not what we've seen at all. Family works so well together when they have been able to, to keep their, their traditions. It's fantastic. I love the the imagery going back before again that what I learned of it as a product, if you will, of 20th century America, right? And you go back further than that, which is true, because right? I often do in terms of health and healing and medicine, that history going far farther back. And yeah, in terms of how families work together. Uh, throughout a lifetime. Now, uh, I'm not here to criticize people that have uh, utilized whatever system we grew up in and, and tried yeah. to make the best of it. That's where we are where we are, but there's also a limiting factor in terms of uh, you know diminished returns. That's what we're witnessing now, that there's certain aspects of this that are proving to be unsustainable based only on debt. Could we continue, as you point out, grow and grow and grow and grow, grow based on also population renewal and all of that. Uh, and the question is, what do we value and then how do we achieve that which we learn to value? Yeah. Sometimes by abandoning those values for a time and going, oh, that didn't work, right? Yeah. The experience that we needed to have, perhaps. Well, I'm, I'm happy to, I also, I want to go a bit deeper into debt because I just want to explain the math here so it makes sense what I was saying earlier. Sure. Which is, I think, um, you know, a lot of people who haven't done, like I, I used to do private equity and stuff, so they might not be familiar with the way you typically use debt and when debt is really good and when debt is really bad. So, um If I'm making a $10 investment in a company, right? Uh, If I take $8 and and that is debt and it's got like a 5% interest rate, it really doesn't matter. Typically in this equation, we'll pretend like it has no interest. So you have uh, $8 of debt 
and $2 of equity. That means it's $2 that like I'm actually putting into the system. Now, if that investment grows to $14, you know, that's, that's, um, uh, a good, you know, 40% gross. What that actually means is that the equity I invested ends up growing 300% because I am getting back $6 from that investment in the equity because the debt just pays back what I initially took, right? But if it shrinks by just $1, you know, if it goes from $10 to $9, I've lost 50% of my equity. And that's the power of debt. It multiplies the the um, luxuries you get from growth, but it also massively multiplies the cost of even slight shrinkage. And we're about to enter an era on many dimensions of first slight and then pretty profound shrinkage. Yeah, so this is the thing about birth rates, right? Which is really fascinating. A lot of people don't notice. So they keep looking at population numbers and they go, well, population is still going up. So it's not that big a deal. Um, and, and one, it's like, no, it's only going up in, in like desperately poor regions. And they're, you know, sort of hiding the statistics of the rest of the world. Even right now, uh, right, uh, the the average fertility rate in a developed country is 1.52 when replacement rate is 2.1. So it's 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 well below that. But um, you have this really fascinating phenomenon, which is you don't see sharp population declines right after the fertility collapses, because what happens is as a, as a 50 year old, you know, still has 50% of their life left, right? So they're still showing up as a population figure, even though they will never have a kid after that age, or they're very unlikely to. No, so what that point. means is you don't notice in your population that you have a problem until it's too late. And this is what I saw when I was in Korea. You know, there was this old Stargate SG-1 episode. I, I used to love this show growing up. Um, and there was this villain called the Ashen. And what they would do is they would lower the population in a country, actually through things like vaccines and stuff um, mm-hmm. and life extension technology. Um, and and it just slowly killed out the people. And what they realized was, you know, they fought like godlike aliens. And this was the one they couldn't beat. And they could only beat them by sending a message back in time and being like, do not engage these people. And I feel like coming from Korea back to the U.S. to work here, it, it was like coming back in time. And I can tell people a few things. The fertility rate doesn't stop declining. There is no floor. People think like, oh, it'll reach some level of homeostasis. Oh, there's communities that are that'll always be resistant to this. No, it just keeps falling and nobody freaks out about it. Mm. You will have the people who are looking at the data, you know, like our allies, like Elon, right? Who will try to tell you this is a problem, but people don't listen, you know, because mm. because it, it requires work and it doesn't fit with the, the default progressive agenda and it doesn't fit with the default conservative agenda. But um, what's, I don't remember what's going to say. No, you are on a roll there, Malcolm. Simone, help him out. Oh no, we, we, we're just really, I, I think what we feel like mm-hmm. is, is we can see such a clear progression and mm-hmm. so many clear echoes of the pandemic mm-hmm. where when the pandemic started, a lot of people were like, oh, it's going to blow over in two months. And honestly, like, I, I think it was very hard for people to model, even though it was pretty clear what was about to happen, just how profound the problem was, because no one had ever lived through a time in which governments would just fall off their rockers and just shut everything down. And things would go so crazy. 
Um, so they're just like, no, 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 it'll blow over. And yeah, we feel like this month, is a, two months. You this know? is a similar situation where the consequences of this are so profound. Like us, our stock markets stop going up on average. City infrastructure starts crumbling. We get more Detroit style cities. And it's just so hard to wrap your head around it. But mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, I'm not going to think about it. Also, they're like, well, I'll be dead anyway. Yeah. And I don't have kids anyway. So why would I care? Yes. I know Malcolm wants to speak. Yeah, I really, oh, I had a fun. So I remember what I was going to say. So I was like, you think, oh, there's cultures that we have that are resistant to this. At least the religious communities are resistant to this. Well, I wanted to go next. Yes. Thank you. Unfortunately, not. Not not as much as you'd like. They are more resistant to it. They are much more resistant to it. But if you look at the current data, it looks like Mormons have either Mm -hmm. fallen below replacement rate or will within five years. Now, a lot of people who might not know, like, demographics, Mormons used to have one of the highest fertility rates in the United States. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. it used to be just a truism that, like, oh, well, America will just be Mormons and Amish in the future. Yes. Well, it, and it still is. You, Utah still has one of the highest birth rate, if you will, in the nation uh, because of what's a remnant, if you will, of that belief system. But to your point, and that's what I wanted to ask you guys about, you know, in terms of uh, religion, you know, Catholicism, Judaism, uh, the the people from the, the LDS church, they have that as a big part of, of not only the, the religious belief, but their culture. Yet many of them, not all, but many of them adopted, including church leadership, adopted this, uh, do get, you got to go along to get along. You got to get the jab, be good people, good citizens. And now it's a disaster because it's accelerated already declining birth rates, less so perhaps in that community because of certain things that have happened and, uh, in, in, you know, holding tight to their traditions. But man, it is it is dropping fast. We've seen it, and yet I've I've heard little or nothing from the traditional uh, religious leaders. Although we've covered a lot within the uh, Orthodox and Hasidic Judaism in like New York City area, where there's been a lot of resistance there, uh, where yes. they are holding fast to it and and they, trying. They, to, they, yeah. The Jewish community has been the most resistant of all um, uh, cultural groups to uh, this collapse in at birth least rates. The ones that are integrated with mainstream society. At least the ones that, yeah, the Amish are the most resistant, but they've like air gapped to their culture. Um, yeah. So they, you know, it, it's it's not really the same. Um, but in terms of the ones that are integrating with society, they have been the most resistant. And a lot of people incorrectly think, and I think it's because of like public perceptions that Muslims are resistant to the collapse, but they're not. Iran, for example, uh, went from a birth rate, a uh, fertility rate of like 6.3 per woman in the 1980s to 2010. They were already only at like 2.3. That's a fertility rate collapse faster than China under the one child policy. Um, the the reason why it appears, I think, in pop media that Muslims have a this really high birth rate is just because many Muslims live in desperately poor countries. Um, and really any desperately poor country isn't affected by this. It is modernity and wealth which causes this collapse or at least the expectation of this like um specific well you know quality of lifestyle mm. simone tell me about your little one right there in your lap yeah. and how oh, are yes this is titan invictus here she's kid number three yeah hoping to have seven to 13 kids <laughs> and you know it's wild like um I grew up in a very, very uh, progressive society. Um, she grew up in San Francisco yeah. and, with, with hippie parents. And my my plan um, before, honestly, I met Malcolm and, and he sort of told me it was okay to decide what I wanted to believe on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I was vehemently against having kids. I mean, I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to sterilize myself. And I was happy about it. 
Um, and it's just crazy to me um, how much our predominant society now is really against the idea of having kids. What was the um, predominant uh, you know, viewpoint like that? Was that coming from a progressive era of it's irresponsible to have kids? We need to reduce the population. Yeah, not, it's not, so it's not just that. Um, okay. it, it, but that, that is a big part of it, right? That, oh, the carbon footprint of kids, blah, blah, blah. Which, by the way, um, we, we could make a pretty robust argument as to why actually having kids, if you care about the environment, is a really important thing to do if you actually care about the environment and sustainability. But aside from that, um, mm -hmm. a key differentiating point that Malcolm, I think, has parsed out in, in our book, The Pragmatist's Guide to Crafting Religion, um, between conservative and progressive cultures is this. Progressive cultures are much more interested in and focused around intergenerational well-being. Sorry, intra-generational well-being. So that is, during my life, Am I happy? Am I comfortable? Am I, you know, not experiencing any inconvenience or suffering? Whereas conservative cultures are more interested in intra-generational, inter. sorry, inter, yeah. yeah. intergenerational <laughs> well-being, meaning over oh, the long run, yes. will my culture, will my people, will my family. How are we leaving our, our, our planet and our environment? Yes. Well, yeah, yes. it's, it's about more like long-termism. It's about the big right. game. It's about we, civilization we, and humanity. Yeah, and so the, the big problem here with you know a culture that focuses on just what's happening in your lifetime, what's happening now, yeah. is you're going to be more focused on what's comfortable. And frankly, what is more comfortable in the short run is to not have any kids. Because mm -hmm. oh well, you know these days, you know if we need to travel, if we yeah, need to it's, you know, it's do anything, it's always more complicated. You have babysitters, you know, someone's always sick. It Simone, is easier it, 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 to not have kids. Instant and semi-instant gratification yes. uh, scenario of, of the cultural, I don't know, I would call it de-evolution. Uh, it's an experiment, I could say, but I yeah. don't think it's going well in no, terms no. of uh, preservation of it's the, the whole sugar diet. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. I mean, in terms of preservation, uh, what do you call it? A sterilizing meme? Yes, yeah, a sterilizing memetic package. Um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 the all sugar diet. It feels good in the moment. It's like exercise versus non-exercise, But right? it is the cultural equivalent of a terminal illness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And look, this has been a big, big part of my journey, learning about this in terms of my own health and the ability to be healthy enough, like with my wife to eventually have children, children that would be healthy and, and able, uh, hopefully, uh, to reproduce. Right. And even if we do everything right, the exposures that we're all in, involved on this planet right now are curtailing again, the fertility rates, even in those that do everything as right as possible. Uh, oh, so you're looking at someone who cannot have kids naturally. Like I, mm -hmm. I had to do IVF for mm -hmm. all of our children because on my own, I cannot have children. That is, and, and, you know, I thought I was alone when I first went through this problem and then it, yeah, it's amazing. All of the women I know who are my age who wanted to have kids um, either struggled significantly or needed assisted reproductive help. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, those who are trying to go naturally, we know lots of people who, you know, will only have kids naturally and are basically like, well, I guess I'm having one kid, yeah. you know, and you can I just do. look at the statistics, fertility rates, like sperm production and, and testosterone rates have declined. Like, what is it like some insane amount, like 50 or 60% yeah. and like just the last like 25 years mm -hmm. and you see fertility declining among women. We are becoming a sterile species. Yeah. It's happening. Like, it's happening like, yeah. and people need, this is not something to sleep on people. If there was an alien here living among us, we'd be pointing fingers right now saying someone was trying to eliminate us. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to add this into the mix as, you know, as a homeopath and working with uh, even women who had trouble with fertility long before again, COVID and, and 
really finding that there are ways to restore fertility, but there's a point of uh, diminishing returns, especially if, if people have adopted the COVID jabs. This is a whole uh, new uh, scenario that none of us had accounted for. Uh, you know, but even pre-early COVID, it was an interesting story of my uh, the gym that I go to kickbox and the owner of the gym, my friend Rachel, who uh, was remarried, already had uh, two kids, I think. And um, the, the new husband wanted to have children with her and they hadn't been able to get pregnant. And I just said, all right, you know, here's uh, here's some Dr. Christopher's hormonal changes, just a, an herbal blend that's been around for generations, right, in Utah. And she got on it and like within two months was pregnant and they have a beautiful little child they call Star-Lord, <laughs> Quill. Uh, and, 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 you know, again, the, the possibilities are, yes, it's difficult. In fact, you know, for, for my wife and I to get pregnant, it took a lot of years. We even tried at one point uh, a Clomid, if you remember that drug, to you oh, know, yeah. get out a lot of those eggs. Done it all. <laughs> and, and it was, you know, honestly, I think my perspective is God interfered to help us because you know, we tried so much and we had been through so much, both of us, our health issues, you know, as Gen, Gen X, and she's the last of the baby boomers right there on the cusp of Gen X and had been harmed by vaccines and drugs and mercury and everything uh, that it, it took a lot of effort. And then even then it was like, God, we're going to give up if this doesn't happen. And then we had one, it was a miracle. And then took another five years. And it was like, my wife said, God, I'm, I'm 40. If this doesn't happen now, I'm just going to give up and just saying, this is just where we're at. And bingo, bango, bongo. We had, you know, another one. It's a miracle. So, uh, you know, I, I ask people to also be open to the spiritual interventions that are, are available to us. It's not all about medical, although I support those that are doing that because we got to we got to have kids. And uh, yet at the same time, encouraging people to explore living more along the lines of the natural world and seeking out help, naturopathic, homeopathic and otherwise to see miracles that are not miracles. They're just honoring how the body is supposed to work, removing that interference and giving the body what it needs and seeing those things that we call miracles happen where pregnancies couldn't happen one month and the next month that they do happen. So I just want to encourage folks to continue to try everything they can. And if, if, if needing medical intervention to get more kids, uh, yeah, at least there's that too. Yeah. You never know what's going to work. Try it mm -hmm. all. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So I, I respect and appreciate that. And I, I know it's difficult for those that want to have children, how difficult it's become. And it's a, it's a tragedy every month. It doesn't happen in those families. Yeah, no, it, it's both yeah. heartbreaking mm -hmm. And yeah. expensive and time-consuming. Well, I mean, we can also talk about the um, what's the word for them? The uh, end endocrines, endocrine the, disruptors. Yeah, the endocrine yeah. disruptors that are just everywhere these days. I suspect mm -hmm. that that's probably what's causing the fertility collapse. Sure. Um, but you know, I mean, it's going to lead to all sorts of weird stuff in the way people experience gender, and the way you know that leads to this drops in testosterone we're seeing. It's it's it's. Oh yeah. Um, and you do not see people talk about it. I just don't get that they could they could freak out about COVID and not freak out that they're losing their ability to reproduce. Yeah. But it's because they do not care about what's happening intergenerationally. Only what's happening intragenerationally. What's happening to them? They they're, they are not optimizing for their grandkids. It's, it's selfish and not selfless, but. I understand the term selfish is often misinterpreted because there's a good side to selfishness. That is, you must care for yourself enough to be able to be selfless, to care for others. And, you know, part of this journey that we're on is is they alter words and meanings to denigrate people who are caring for themselves. If this is, you know, like I've talked about uh, eating clean, organic food. It used to just be called food, you know, <laughs> and yet people would say, well, that's a, a psychiatric disorder. You're orthorexic. You don't want to eat or you're an elitist because you believe in organic food as opposed to commercial food, which is cheaper because it's subsidized. And they try to denigrate people who want to care for their own health so that they can 
be healthy enough to have children and care for healthy children, et cetera. So it's a fascinating journey we're on. Now, as we're wrapping up here, Simone and Malcolm, uh, I have the the websites linked up. You mentioned another one. I, I don't know if we have linked up, but I've got the pragmatic pragmatistfoundation.com and we have the pragmatist guide, uh, uh, pragmatist.guide as well. Um, yeah. And I want people to find that, but you mentioned one other site that was related. So that's our effort to try to replace secondary education in the United States okay. um, and, and create something that allows for truly high quality gifted education run very inexpensively. So that's one thing we're working on. And then the other thing, if they want to check out any of our books, I mean, we've got five. Um, just look up the Pragmatist Guide series on Amazon. It's probably easier than like going to a website or something. Um, and uh, they all take a really... Just like, it's like if you looked at the research that's out there right now, but you ignored all of the progressive narratives about that research, what is it actually saying? What is it actually saying about sexuality? What is it actually saying about relationships? What is it actually saying about, um, you know, the latest one, uh, religion? Uh, and, 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 and what we argue is that it's saying that religion was a lot more useful I mean, even just from a, a functional perspective, then sec the secular world told us it was. Mm -hmm. And it was the core thing motivating us to have kids. And when we stripped it out of society, we, we you know, even, even if you look at it from a purely clinical, purely secular perspective, we still lost what we needed to thrive as a species. Mm. Yeah. You guys are, you know, very insightful. And I appreciate the discussion. <laughs> Uh, honestly, and, you know, it's something that is of concern to me and has been for a long time. And we do talk about it from time to time, but I'm glad that your perspectives are getting out there. And for those of you who are in the, the audience, please check out the book again. What's the book name? Uh, the Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion. That's our, our favorite. Is. But we also have the Pragmatist Guide to Governance if you want something less controversial. This is our spicy one. This is just like the crazy one. Like how did different, even like within the Christian tradition, what sort of like outcomes do things motivate but it's also about how do you take your culture and make it intergenerationally durable how do you protect your culture from being robbed from your children mm -hmm. um, how do you make sure that your culture stays alive because we, we feel like we live in an age in which cultures are just being eliminated left and right you know, and, systematically and we've We've had these fights before. So today, the big fight, like the last five years, the big fight is one cultural group that said, like, truth is best determined by individual research. And then another group that said, no, truth is best determined by people who spent their entire life studying it and then were accredited by a central bureaucracy. You know, that was what the COVID fight was. And it's like, this is what the Reformation was. We've gone through this before. We have seen the outcome before. And what we actually right. argue in the book isn't that one perspective is better. We argue that a, a multicultural ecosystem is mm -hmm. better. Absolutely. Both viewpoints bring something unique to the table. Yes. And, and it's, I think we're at the, the ver on the verge of a, what we call the Renaissance again. Yes. And I've heard that term brought up by many that are seeing what you're seeing in a, you know, unique and different ways. And again, yeah. appreciate yeah. you both for what you're doing. Hopefully we can connect again. Are, do you do any public events as well? Yeah. Uh, well, well, yeah. Not, not, not that we have planned. He's gonna ask like. Well, you know, not, yeah. yeah. Nothing, nothing in the works immediately. Okay. Well, if, if you do, please let me know. Uh, I'd yeah. love to let people know about it. I mean, what you're doing is quite unique in the way you're going about it. Well, I mean, um, you're running for office next year, so you'll be doing a oh, lot. Well, that's news. Where, what <laughs> office are you running for, and where? Well, we want to run for state senate. I mean, we say we because everything we do is integrated as a sure. unit. 
Um, But in the state of Pennsylvania, there's so much opportunity in especially school choice. Mm -hmm. um, And we really, really want to fight for that because, you know, again, school is is a means through which in many cases um, people's families, cultures are being systematically removed. Um, And the importance of providing school choice to people is, is, you know, there should be a myriad of ways that that students can be educated. They shouldn't be forced to go to just one channel that may work educationally or not. So you're talking about a state level office or state uh, level, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So for those, we have a lot of listeners in PA. So uh, by all means, let us know as your uh, journey to that office might happen. We'll help you out. Thank you. Fingers crossed. Yeah. All right, Simone, Malcolm. God bless you guys. I'd love to talk to you again sometime. It's been a pleasure. Can't wait. Yeah. Thank you for all that you're doing. Appreciate it. Uh, that was it was as in- intriguing and pragmatic as I had hoped. Maybe more so. And I joke about the pragmatic uh, guide to the universe. Maybe that would be, be next or the galaxy, whatever, uh, take it on out from there. Uh, but yeah, thank you all for being here. What a, what a, what an interesting uh, topic. Super, Super Don, were you with me on that one? I mean, we got some really cool discussion points there on. Um, Man, I wish I had like a quarter mm-hmm. of that guy's energy. Mm-hmm. Holy moly. It was like, hey, how you guys doing? And, and I was like, I thought we was going to be pleasantries for a few minutes. Oh, heck no, man. It was like, boom. Oh, he values every moment. That's a guy who understands. Oh, man. Yeah. I should have asked him if he likes Red Bull or something. I, man, that was, I, I don't think so based on what he was saying. But uh, no, yeah, so. boy. It, yeah, I was kind of, I was just uh, engrossed the, the, the whole the whole conversation there. Very yeah. interesting, very mm-hmm. interesting topic, and I want to thank Kevin for for making the connection there because this, you know, I, I keep saying this, mm-hmm. but it's like these are topics and things that we never would have taught or like they, never never, never in a million years. Yeah. So I hope you guys thought it was interesting too. That was that was a good interview. The dogs are excited. I can hear them. I don't know what they're they're barking at the barking at the moon. Is it the moon or the the postman? A neighbor dog or something. Oh yeah. yeah. All right. Well, as we wrap up the show, there's one article I want to get to, and this is an interesting one. I've said that if they can get away with it, they will never lift the state of emergency. And there are certain states of emergency in the United States that haven't been lifted, like since 1933, that continually renews bankruptcy, for instance. But the one we're talking about now is the so-called COVID-19 twin emergencies. And uh, the Republicans that have a narrow control over the House of Representatives have threatened to basically end the emergency from their power uh, perspective to make Biden have to defend it. So now he comes out and says, oh, well, I've decided we're going to end it on May 11th. May 11th. Now, May 11th? Yeah, May 11th. Why wait until May 11th? Exactly. What? what is the hold <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, hold on. This is January. Mm-hmm. So February, March, March April, April, May. May. So he wants to wait five months. Yeah. How does he know? Yeah. That, I, don't, I don't know. What's, what's the... The reasoning well, behind there's this. A, there's a lot of gravy to make still. And these uh, uh, corporations that own and control the government do not want to let go of the free flow of the stuff without liability. Many things exist, including, guess what? Uh, COVID tests that not many people take anymore, but they, they're still using them. Uh, those only exist in emergency use authorization situations. So without an emergency, a lot of things go away, including a lot of graft and, and uh, so-called freebies that people are profiting from. Now, there are a lot of people, average Americans that have been sucked into it because of the destruction of the economy by the government shutting things down that, yes, they're going to hurt economically because they're used to a flow. From oh, you know, well, yeah, you know, I actually, as I'm looking at this, I suppose I can see why they would want to wait five months. Yeah. 
because there's a lot of money flowing right now exactly. that people are are uh, used to having, mm-hmm. uh, and so I suppose they're trying to avoid at all costs uh, riots in the streets. Yeah, yeah, uh, but the because thing is, these, these are precipitated <laughs> by getting people dependent on government and then removing them from that uh, source of free stuff. Yeah. And and there's no such thing as a free lunch. I said it. Well, say it again. I saw I saw an article. I think it was was yesterday. I was looking and there's like in different states where mm-hmm. uh, COVID, uh, like food stamps, yeah, you know, and food stuff like that is coming to a close, and mm-hmm. or and rental assistance too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that yeah, whole thing. Talking about homeless people, you're going to talk about re- repossession of a lot of uh, you're have hungry homeless people in the street now because they've all become reliant on that over the last three years. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's kind of so a mess. It's not, there's no pretty way about it. And I remember Ron Paul's warning, you know, we either rip the bandaid off or it's going to be, uh, you know, a bigger disaster later, you know, and deal with it. And each time we wait and we delay and we delay, it doesn't get better because the same issue still comes up again. Well, um, with the COVID situation, all they did was put a Band-Aid on top of the Band-Aid. Correct. And the right? distraction, of course, with uh, Ukraine, Russia, and on and on it goes. But here we have a big issue that we just discussed in the second hour of the show today about uh, re- replacement level fertility uh, gone. And what, what does that mean? And most people are not considering that, thinking about that. So it was a, a very important discussion to have today. So thank you for that. Uh, also, hour one, David Avocado Wolf. What a great hour with David. Uh, enjoy him immensely. And he he gets it. He's seen a lot of this as long as I have. One of the few people out there that's been at this that long uh, that, uh, you know, I don't have to explain anything to him. <laughs> nope. and we could just go right for it. And he was great. And again, the end, the end message was find joy. Find reasons to celebrate. And there are plenty. Life is still going on, even with all of the things that, you know, we would consider to be, oh, that's not so good. That's rotten. We hate that. Uh, find joy. And, you know, with even with my friend Jonathan E. Mord, uh, running for the United States Senate. He's not under a delusion that just him being there changes everything, but the impact that he can have is significant. I liken it going into that burning building, being willing to risk your own life to save those who are willing to be you know, saved as opposed to you know, abandoning ship. And uh, that's not Jonathan E. Mord. So I hope that you'll support him. I, I know Mike Adams mentioned him yesterday in his, his updates as I talked to Mike you know, by the technology we have and said, hey, Jonathan's declaring now and and he's going out. So I'm sure he'll interview him as well. So any of those events coming up, check out emord4va.com. Other upcoming events and all support for those that support this message of health, freedom, and healing liberty, please uh, come on board at robertscatbell.com. Sign up for the newsletter or text RSB to 22828 and get part of the newsletter. Super Don's been remiss in getting him out because he's been so swamp busy and that's an understatement. Uh, but you know when they come out, they're very valuable things that, that we're letting you know about. Online events, in-person events, and there's more to come. And uh, find a reason to celebrate and get together with one another, including the family union we talk about in July of this year at the uh, Goody Farm. Can we call it that? The Homestead in Ooh, Missouri. Goody. In there. There's the upcoming events. It's there. Uh, so love to see you. July 14th through 16th. It looks like a nice weekend where I'm going to eat lots of organic pie. That's what I'm promised. <laughs> Boy, you are fixated on the on the oh, no. pie situation. Well, well, me and Bolden, probably. He would be there yes. eating pie with me. No no doubt. No doubt about that. All right. So uh, we're about at the wrap-up moment. I know we started just a hair late, but we'll come back in about 60 seconds for those of you listening and watching live instantly for those on the podcast for the bonus round of the Robert Scott Bell Show, where I always remind you and me 
but the power to heal is yours. Mom's in the chat room. She joined us too late. She didn't get to see herself dancing to Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Mom, who are you dancing with? If you can put that in the chat room so we can give a shout out to who was dancing with you on your 89th birthday celebration at your, at your friend Sandra's place. That was cool. So let me know. We can give him a shout out and say thanks. That was fun to watch you dancing uh, while Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers were dancing on screen from 1934, the year you were born. Pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. And, oh, there it is. Super Don's got it going. You can see that. One of the screenshots. I can't hear it anymore, but I can see it. Oh, there it is. How awesome is that? Not every day you've got an entire theater to yourself there. Yeah, I know. Isn't that great? same way as the movie that's so good awesome that's so cool uh, that was great well there you go mm -hmm. I, was, I was trying to look it up to see what movie that was and so i tried to see 1934 fred astaire ginger roger movies mm -hmm. and what comes up here uh the gay divorcee <laughs> That could never pass as a title. It's a 1934 anymore. American musical film directed by Mark Sandrich and starring Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Hmm. The gay divorce. That's, unless they came out with more than one movie in 1934. Yeah. No, that would, that would be either there. one. Hmm. Yep. Back when uh, the word didn't mean the same thing, you know, in a little more innocent time, perhaps. I don't know. Anyway, that was fun. That was fun to see. Thanks for playing that again. Uh, let's see what else is going on in the chat room. We're in the, in the bonus round, so we can just kind of let, let loose, let our hair down. What, let, what's left of mine and a lot of yours there. I see. <laughs> yeah, I still got it. Still got yeah. it. Haven't, haven't gotten rid of it yet. You're doing well. Gretel. Love me some Jonathan. Yes. I'm excited about that for sure. Yes. Gretel, that couple was, uh, there, uh, the Simone and, uh, Malcolm Collins there in Pennsylvania. I didn't know where NPA, but she wants to run for a state. Uh, office apparently <clears throat> there in Pennsylvania. that would be for the whole state wouldn't it i don't know i mean that when you say state senator i also think of the regions and you go into the state level office of the senate so it isn't the whole state that votes for you in that case unless you're running for united states senate like jonathan emord or or dr oz was and i don't know if oz was just a horrible candidate or if they you know i don't know what happened there fully but he kind of fell apart there didn't he yeah, it's almost like as, as savvy as he is about media, how did he screw that one up against the guy that could hardly speak a sentence? Think about that. You know, like, on, just shake your head and go, that was lame. Just lame. Really kind of, yeah, kind of a weird dude. I don't know a lot about him, but yeah. uh, 
he's yeah he's he's interesting guy yeah the way he looks and the i mean he had a stroke and i you know not that, that that's anything to make light of but uh it uh yeah you kind of thought that oz would have a, would have done better than he did yeah i mean again it's an, he's a he's media savvy obviously being in the media for all those years i, I just find it strange to explain how he lost that election those of you in PA, maybe you'll know more. Some argue, of course, voting irregularities. You have to consider that. But others is like, dude, you can't, you couldn't win against someone who couldn't utter utter a full sentence. That's yeah. Just, I mean, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Maybe initially it was, but you know, when I listened to him on the campaign trail, yeah, after he'd had a chance to to recover a little bit, it, I mean, he could he could talk. It wasn't like he was doing sign language or something. Yeah. Not really. Not I'll let that one go. Okay, whatever. <laughs> okay. Yes. Anyway. All right. Mom's not telling us who she was dancing with. Oh, well. Okay. Pat loves old musicals. DJ Katie, great movie. Love all Ginger and Fred. My wife, you know, loved Fred Astaire. You know, growing up, Fred Astaire was amazing. Yeah. Well, who didn't... Yeah. Who didn't like uh, Fred Astaire? Come on. Mm -hmm. Everybody like Fred Astaire. All right. Steve suspects the vote fraud. Hey, Chris Lavoy, Chris and Lourdes. Love you guys. Miss you. Um, yeah. Dr. Oz was a weird loss. That's why I say I just, it, you know, it doesn't make sense. You have all of the, the specs to win on it. And he, he wasn't considered a hard right. Republican that would completely, you know, make the the Democrat left recoil in horror either. So it wasn't an easy thing to explain. That's all I'm saying. So, all right, what else we got in the chat room or announcements or uh, upcoming events or anything else, Super D, that we should know about uh, po podcast wise on our podcast network? Um, later on this afternoon, there will be a new episode of uh, Stay at Home Mom. Great. Leslie's cranking and, up. Doing great yeah, work. Yeah. She got a new microphone too. Oh, wow. Yeah. The one that she had crapped out on her inside, adjusted a, a microphone. She went and got it. So very good. Yeah. I have kind of a cool story I want to tell you. Oh, yeah. I'm up if, for you, it. if you don't, if you don't mind. Um, it, was a, it was a cool experience. Uh, yeah. I was on Facebook the other day and mm -hmm. I went and looked up. Uh, there's an alumni group from my high school that I, I attended and graduated. Uh, and so I went and joined it. And as I was looking through the different posts and stuff like that, there was this one post where this guy was talking about how back at, at the high school, mm -hmm. uh, he used to have a car club. And in the car club, there was like, you know, various people and, you know, they had their cars and stuff. And he, he had this long story about, you know, the car club and stuff. And they'd found some old T-shirts uh, from the car club that they'd forgotten about. And so they had them. And then his his wife always wanted to be in the car club, but she never got in. And so they gave her a T-shirt. And now she was part of the old car club from back in 1983 or whatever. So anyway, it's just this story. And in the post, he had a bunch of pictures of people and their cars in this car club from 1983. So I'm, you know, just kind of looking through and stuff like that. And I noticed one of the pictures and this was the picture here. And here's the guy and behind him there, that's a 1973 Mercury Comet. Yeah. The vomit comet. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, God, you know, that really, that looks like 
1973 Mercury Comet my dad had way back wow. in the same color. Uh, uh, yeah, it was the same color. Had the same, you know, the, the racing stripe down the side, the mag wow. wheels, the whole deal. I was like, <clears throat> that is so. so cool. I I went on the post and I was like, when was this picture taken? Because, yeah. gosh, I have a hunch that could be yeah. my dad's 1973 Mercury Comet. Look at how and clean it looks. Clean and so nice. The guy contacted the the this this guy here, yeah. uh, and and that that guy wrote me back, yeah. And he said, "Your hunch and your memory are spot on." That was he your said, dad. I bought this. He said, "I bought this in 1982 when I got my driver's license. I was yeah. noticed that it was sitting in the driveway with a mm -hmm. for sale sign in the window." Yeah. And he said, "I bought it uh, from your dad, wow. and uh, the rest is history." And this picture was taken a year later at the high school. And so, so I was cool. just like, that is like the, I mean, what are the odds, right? Yeah. That I just come oh. across some guy with a picture of his car and it turns out it's, it's the car that my dad had that he sold because yeah. had, had, a you know, it wasn't a practical car for family and all that right. kind of stuff. And yeah. And so he was, I got he was a CHP at that point too, your dad. He was. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a, that was a little, was it still considered a muscle car that Comet or was it, you know, I mean, it's, it's a little car, right? Yeah. You know, it's it's not a very big car, uh, but it had a, a 350 yeah. V8 in it. So it would be considered a muscle car back then. It would be, I suppose, it would be considered a muscle car. That but. is a cool memory there. I love that. I love that. <laughs> it was really cool. It was kind of emotional because you know my dad's gone now, and yeah. and to be able to see something like that and just come across the guy that does bought he still, it. Does he still have the car, your friend? Or no? that I don't know. Oh, that, you can ask that, him that next. Did he get rid I of? The, I should ask him. Yeah. That's the next next chapter. The the rest of the story, so to speak. Nope. All right. Any other comments or questions coming in the chat room? I got somebody visiting, delivering me some cardio miracle. I want to go up and say hello uh, to uh, Josh Hewlett, John's son. Uh, let's see here. All right. So, so, yeah, I don't see any in the chat room here. Fred Astaire said, and this is Stephen putting it in, Fred Astaire said it was the greatest dancing he had ever seen on film. In a dance performance for the ages, the Nicholas Brothers dazzled audiences with their acrobatic routine to Cab Calloway's hit song, Jump and Jive. Not only that, but the routine was unrehearsed, and what you see was the first take. Was that from Singing in the Rain, or which one was that? Um, oh, you know what? I think I know what he's talking about. Uh, yeah, that, that is a video of two guys doing this dance routine, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And I've seen this one before, and it's insane. What the, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Oh, I've seen it. Yeah, no, I've just... Holy moly. These guys was, are just uh, like... It was from stormy weather. Yeah, the 1940s. Flying through the air and doing like splits and stuff. I mean, it's just... Yeah, dude, it, it just, that was like Michael yeah. Jackson level before there was a Michael Jackson beyond... Yeah, that was an amazing dance uh, performance. I know what yeah, he's talking about. Fair, knows dance, and he's saying that's yep. the best ever. Yeah, no, that's cool. Nice memory yeah. lane there. Thanks for sharing that link there, Stephen. All right, folks. I think we'll sign off for the day tomorrow. Uh, what do we got on tap on the show? Tomorrow we have got. Mm -hmm. Checking it out. It, as soon as it will show me. Uh, I, I, I don't know how to. Aga, Aga or Aga Wilson. Yeah. Uh, in our one. Yeah. And then should be tight. We'll, well, we'll see if we've got tight tomorrow or not. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. We never know. Um, yeah. I've got to record something tomorrow morning, apparently. A power talk with Tom Jacomis. Jacomis? Looking at that as a morning thing. And then we have my friend Melanie Marden 
who I met at the Red Pill Expo. She's got a new book out on cancer, overcoming cancer. And let's see what else we got. Laban, our buddy Laban Ditchburn. Uh, he's coming up uh, the world's greatest or best courage coach. His book, mm-hmm. Bet on You. I have that right here, Friday. And Vera Sharav, which they're showing every night an episode of uh, her new documentary. Yep. Yeah. Never again has gone global. Uh, my gosh, there's stuff happening. So we got a lot going on, y'all. Thanks for being here. Thanks for supporting us. And uh, if you haven't sent in your address to Super Don, if you want something on our AMA, please do, because I can't send it out until I confirm where I'm sending things, things that we were able to give away. I uh, think, if I'm not mistaken, I'm still needing to hear from Lori Harvey, Lorelai, and Christy Doherty. Okay, there you go. Marching orders out there. Give us your address. You now, don't assume we know it, even though we've sent it before. That's just kind of our thing. We want to make sure. <laughs> make it easy on me. Come on. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So with that, all right. God bless you all. We'll see you, God willing, less than 22 hours from now again on this thing called the Robert Scott Bell Show with Super Don. Oh, is that my cue? That's your cue.